Uniting bisexual people all around the world, it's another packed edition of Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Ashley Byrne and Lewis Oakley. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So another bisexual brunch and um, yeah, we've all been sort of basking in the heat wave. Uh, but if you're like me, uh, you've been sort of melting in the heat wave really. Um, the apartments that I live in are absolutely dreadful, absolutely no air whatsoever. And I gather it's the same for you, Nikki. Yeah, it hasn't been great. And also my poor little sausage dog is just too hot. He can't get cool. So I had to put a towel in the freezer for him so he could flop on it. And he won't walk. You take him to the park and everything's too hot. You, you can sit under a tree and that's just about it. But yeah, I've just, I've been like spraying him with water and, you know, just, just basically been obsessed with him all week. To try but does he like that? Out. Does he like being sprayed with water? Well, you, it depends what you do it with. So my husband has bought this bike cleaner that has this crazy pump on the top. And then it sprays your bike clean because he is obsessed with his bike. You know, like men get with cars. Well, he's got a bike because it's London. So it's yeah. exactly the same thing. Anyway, when he was reading the Amazon reviews of this product, it said underneath, oh, and perfect for muddy paws. And it became this thing in our house that we kept saying, perfect for muddy paws. Like, wait till we get the dog, we'll be able to clean the dog with it as well. And then lo and behold, this week, it was time to wash the dog because it was too hot. But my husband sprayed him in the face and he said it was to try and desensitise him. And then, of course, he got scared and he didn't like it. But then he went back to my husband anyway. So I was like, the dog's got Stockholm syndrome. You're definitely abusing him with this hose pipe that's meant to be for your bike, not for the dog. So I just got a nice little, you know, like an aerosol water spray, like I'd use myself and put it on the dog. Because I'm kind like that, unlike my husband. But yeah, that's all I've been doing all week. In my life is now, all I talk about, like when Lewis was going on about, I don't have any time for anything apart from the baby. With me, it's just the same with the dog. That's all I do. <laughs> what about you, Lewis? Have you been enjoying the heat or has it got a bit, bit too much for you? No, I haven't been enjoying the heat. And you know what? I was thinking like, oh, back when I was single, oh, the heat was just like, we all get semi-naked, off to the nudist beach. Everyone's sexy. It's all fun. Now it's just not fun. Um, so the, the heat is keeping the baby up all night. Um, it's killing my fiance, like slowly. Um, and it's just not nice. And you can't, I think I gave myself a throat infection because I had the fan like blowing on me all night. And then I woke up and my throat was like, hello. Um, so yeah, it's just not, it's, it's not the one for some reason, which is such a shame. I don't know if it's because we live in cities because I feel like people that I know that live in like towns in the UK, it's like, well, we get a breeze and if you can have that breeze, then it's all okay. Um, but if you, if you're boxed in these cities, it's just not the one you need to work on that. And these people, these gorgeous country estates that they can decamp to. I don't oh. know about you, but like, it feels like half of London are not in London and they're in their second home, I which know. has an incredible garden in Gloucestershire or something. I'm like, oh, give me a break. The dream. I literally, one thing I'm absolutely <laughs> obsessed with and cannot find a good outlet for is like this whole idea that um, 
We have built our cities and countries over hundreds of years. It's been the weirdest collaboration over people that didn't really know what they were building for because we didn't build London with the idea that, oh, well, nine million people live here eventually and we'll be trying to get them off cars and so we'll need cycle lanes. It's like, it's all this mishmash. And to be honest, what we really should do is like level the whole thing and build it again with the idea of like, well, we've got, we've got like sort of 11 million people now and we're predicting in the next 50 years it might go up to whatever it's going to go up to. Let's build these homes, but with like everything we know. So what do we need for, for people's mental health? How much space do they actually need and how close they need to be to greenery? And actually, would it save more carbon if we actually put hospitals here so that you travel and everything's in the local area so you don't need to go 40 miles that way in the car? I am so obsessed with that. And like that part of that is also like, OK, well, we don't really build... London for like really hot weather or really cold weather because you know it just generally rains it's like but we could still incorporate that because it does happen so I'm just obsessed with that kind of infrastructure stuff <laughs> I am with you we are but I don't saying that I don't want to raise it to the ground and rebuild it like Dubai or something because I don't know if you've been there but that is like I feel ill in that place like it's so artificial because everything's built from scratch even the beach is man-made it makes me feel really poorly I can't put my finger on it but there's something really eerie and wrong about it really Oh, I'm yeah, all for it. Really, I just think, do, you like, do you like it? Oh my God. Yeah, I, I, I literally, I'm like... You to live there. No, I think we should just like pay everyone. Be like, I'm so sorry. I know you all love your houses, but we, we've got to build for the people we have now. <laughs> so you're all going to have to move out for a few years. We're going to level it. We'll 3D print the whole thing. So we'll do it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and then you can all come back, but you'll have nicer houses and the, the whole thing will just, it'll be better. I know sentimentally you like these bricks, but we're going to have to get past it. I'm so sorry. But you'll have a bigger house. It sounds a bit, it sounds a bit Maoist. Lewis, like slightly like right I don't care what you've got you're all gonna have exactly the same thing distributed no exactly it's it's way. not a massive it's yeah it's not massive social like you can you know what I think we should all do in the future we don't really buy houses we buy plots of land right and then we will have three you will work with a 3d printer and they will print the house to your specifications that's what will happen I Some... don't know how we've got on this, ta- we have this <laughs> grand designs like what podcast is this <laughs> <laughs> it's because I think we need to prepare better for the heat and other things in life, <laughs> and I and I've got a plan for it all. Just vote, I just need to run on this and uh, vote me into number Lewis, ten. Le- I was going to say, Lewis, could you just be the next housing minister, the first by housing minister? That would be great. I'm the, sure I, that would honestly, I'll situation. get it sorted. I could get so much sorted, you know. I'm so I'm starting to think about a number ten run actually. <laughs> you should, no, but Lewis, you would actually be a good MP. I think so. Don't you think? I th- Actually, because I just be I, I, I just come with like random ideas. It wouldn't be the same old thing. I just be like, <laughs> I've got this random idea to solve the whole like the, the housing crisis. Like, let's try it. And I think I could come across as like a look, guys. If you don't like it, just vote me out in five years. It's fine. But let's try something <laughs> new. The thing is, when it comes to the environment, I mean, you're you're talking to somebody here who was actually very heavily involved in green issues and environmental stuff way way back when I was in my teenage years and was mocked for it and like yeah 30 odd years later yeah it's all coming through you know what I mean it's quite quite angering actually when you see all this and you hear all this and you think yeah you were exactly the same people who were mocking people back in the 30 years ago you're now saying something needs to be done you know it's like it's just bonkers um and of course it's too late in certain circumstances sadly um we just go adapt to what's going on rather than you know we're not able to sort of plan properly which we should have been doing you know houses should have had solar power there should have been much more wave power and wind power there was a period about five or six years ago maybe six seven years ago time, time of the coalition i think if i remember rightly where actually britain was leading the way in alternative energy 
it's you know we we're you know, we've got problems again. So it's sort it's of that's true. one issue. But in terms of in terms of houses, actually, a lot of houses that were built way way back uh, were built uh, in a way that did understand the climate. And you know, you will get houses with big you know big stone houses are very cool in the summer. Mm, and the and they, and they keep northern the, houses are yeah they keep the heat in 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 the winter so you know it's not unusual for you to we can build places that are actually you know do take account of the the seasons but in recent years it's just been a case of throwing things up i mean the apartments that i'm in were thrown up in the early 90s or late 90s i think it was and you know you can't swing a cat in them there's no space there's no as you said before there's no proper air ventilation at all coming through and and it's getting worse. In fact, more and more apartments are being built in Manchester that are like hotel rooms now. Small, really, really. Small. It is strange. Yeah. That's, how like, that's that like New it's... York style, isn't it? Yeah, it's really weird how we've got worse at building stuff. Like yeah. you, you look back at like the really old buildings we have in London. It's like they didn't even have like the ladder wasn't invented. How did they get up that high? I'm joking. <laughs> with, I'm joking. <laughs> the ladder was the ladder. I think the ladder is a few million years old. But yeah, like definitely a thousand. I think the Egyptians had ladders, for example. I could correct me, listeners. I could be wrong about that. Tell us who created the first ladder. They put a lot of work into it, didn't they? I mean, there's that famous picture, isn't there? Which really I cannot ever look at. I have to look away very quickly because it just oh, it's awful. That famous picture of all those workmen on that uh, the the, the um, you know in, in somewhere in America where they're building mm. was it the Empire State or something? And they're all oh, sat yeah. there eating their sandwiches on this. Oh thing. yeah, it makes me feel a bit. Oh, it's as well. awful, but. Yeah, I mean, people died, didn't they? People died building, making, you know, building, building big buildings and things back in the day, you know. But yeah, but it's, it is interesting because like the Georgians were really good at building houses. The Victorians thought deeply about what space people yeah, needed to yeah, feel did. well, didn't they? They cared because Ash, where, you know, where we're from, think about places like uh, Salts Mill, and you remember those like villages that were built by the chocolate factory owners. Yeah, York had in one, Yorkshire, didn't they? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and so uh, so we. So there were these philanthropists that did care deeply about people living well in spaces. But yeah, we need to go back to that time or yeah. forward to that time again. Absolutely. We need to do something because it's going to get, well, I think the heat is going to get worse over the next few years. And, you know, um, I think there's going to be, sadly, I think people are, we're going to lose people through it, you know, through the yeah. heat exhaustion. You know, uh, it's quite quest- sad. Question for you. If you could live in an LGBT housing association, would you? Oh, um probably not actually i feel like i don't have enough outfits i'd get ju- i feel like i'd get judged every day and you'd have to have your makeup on all the time in case anybody saw you uh oh it's such a hard one so so lgbt no because as we know statistically speaking that's that's the the, the place we're most likely to get discrimination um <laughs> by, <laughs> yeah bisexual like a bisexual like place I think that would be fun, but I, I like there is more to me than just my sexuality. But it'd be nice to have a few dotted around. What I really would love is is just like if I lived somewhere where it was all we were all sort of in the same boat. Like you know, if I was sort of surrounded by like um, loads of new parents, and we lived we lived somewhere communally, and there was a big massive garden where all the kids played and they could all make friends. Like that would be cute right now. Um, and if there are a couple of bisexual parents in there, all the better. But I, yeah, I don't need to be surrounded by LGBT people all the time. 
You just need to move to Walthamstow where I'm moving because that's full of those kinds of parents, many of whom are queer. Really? Like, I, yeah, that's kind of why I'm going there because I'm like, oh, people that, you know, I've got you know what in it's, common with. It's really strange. I've always wanted to live in Walthamstow really strangely because there's, there's like so many convenient things. But how are we getting back to like interior? We're going to have to change the name of this podcast to just like... <laughs> I don't know what this... Sorry, bisexual this is, sorry. spaces. I know you, you tuned into completely the wrong podcast today. We will definitely... <laughs> But I they... don't know. We'll stop being such old, weird people talking yeah. about housing for like 20 minutes and enjoying it. Yeah, but I, basically, Waltham, so I've tried to live there like three or four times in the past. It's always fallen through, so it's just not meant to be. Um, and it's I can't really live there now because my, my 12-year-old goes to school in Chiswick, so it would just be too much of a palaver. As we know with London and the infrastructure, you can't really just get around somewhere that's only two miles away you have to go in and out no, and it takes four no, hours no, no. well you'll just have to come and see me when i move into my new house which i hopefully is happening in the next month so. that is so exciting okay touching oh, all the word 100%. right bisexuality well, <laughs> yes let's go on with bisexuality <laughs> to be honest i think from what we read from people sending messages into us a lot of people like our bit of banter about other things we you know we're not just bisexuals we're bisexuals who live a life for heaven's sake you know so there <laughs> you go in houses yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Anyway, um, a couple of things. Um, our bisexual journey story this time is from um, Lil Davis, who's going to be talking to us about relationship with a straight man and relationship with somebody who's um, non-binary, uh, which is going to be interesting. That's a little bit later on. And also, I'm going to be talking to the director of uh, Loki, the Marvel character. Last time we were on, you said you were going to go off and... Watch a bit of Loki. Tell us a bit I about did. it. What did you make of it? Right, well, so obviously, yeah, after the last episode, I was like, right, let's go find out about this Marvel bisexual character. You know, I think it's six or seven episodes on Disney+. Plus. So I watched the first one, and then being a parent kicked in, I haven't watched any more since that. So I've had to cheat and just have a little Google. Um, so from what I can understand, and I could be wrong, is that he kind of references his bisexuality in the third episode, which I, I haven't got to yet, and that that's sort of it. Like, it's just mentioned, he's bisexual, it's not really part of any storylines or anything like that. Having a little Google the last few days, um, I have seen that the kind of, and this is something to ask when you speak to the director, that they'd plan to have loads of bisexual and sex scenes in it. Um, so, who knows? Like, because it's on Disney, and I don't think that Disney really do that kind of stuff. But we'll see. Um, what's really interesting is there's also been reports that now, because obviously Marvel and DC, they're the two superhero ones that are kind of at war. DC have now said that, oh, by the way, we're, we're going to make Supergirl bisexual in, in, the, in the Flash film because she's going to be in the Flash film. So that's quite interesting that, that, that now we kind of are having a bit of a bisexual war off between the two superhero companies, which is great because I do think bisexuals that I meet... They, we kind of all of our sci-fi and superheroes, not all of us, some of us, but as you know, I'm up for getting bisexuals together at Comic-Con. But I think what is interesting about this, I don't know about you guys, the idea that um, Loki is going to be this bisexual character on Disney where it's not adult, I actually think that could really work because I think a lot of the times when we see bisexual characters on TV, it's sexualized. So it's like, oh, well, how can we show that they're still bisexual? I know, let's have them in a massive orgy and a threesome or whatever it is. But actually, where, where are you kind of like, oh, we're doing this in a medium where we can't really have overtly over-sexualized stuff. So how else do we show it? Maybe, in theory, that might actually be a better representation of bisexuality. Although you could go the other way where it's like, oh, we just mentioned it once in episode three and we'll never talk about it ever again. 
We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll, see. we'll talk. I'll be talking to Kate Heron, who's the director of Loki. She's also bisexual herself, and we'll be finding out a little bit about where the idea came from. So we'll be talking to Kate Heron later on. But um, the main thrust of this show is to talk about our feature that we're bringing on board, which is which came from uh, Lewis's head, which is uh, Ask a Bisexual. And in future weeks, we'll have uh, this little feature with a nice little jingle, and we'll produce it all properly and all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> so it's going to be a regular feature, uh, Lewis. Thanks for that. Um, and, I mean, um, I'm doing look, my own one as well, too. So I'm just, I just feel like bisexuals need to ask things. So I, <laughs> I have been meaning for ages to start that thing on my Twitter as well. But I think that us doing it on the show, having all three of us, is like, it's just more value for your money. Exactly. So we'll be doing that regularly, but what I thought we'd do, first of all, is actually the ones that have come in so far, we'll go through them and so, so, so that we can reiterate the fact we want to hear, we want to hear questions from people uh, across the board. We've had a few in, we've had, and we're going to go through them uh, throughout the show. But before we do that, you wanted to talk to us a little bit about Amy Winehouse, Nikki. Mm, I did. So I, I think if you've been anywhere near media the past couple of weeks, you can't escape the fact that it's 10 years since she passed away. And there's this documentary on the BBC, which is told from the perspective of her parents and her friends about her life. And one of the things that it raises is the issue of her potential bisexuality. And I say potential because during her life, she never used that word of herself. But in the documentary, one of her friends reveals that they had a relationship. And so I was just wondering what you guys thought about somebody posthumously revealing that they'd had an affair or a relationship with someone that wasn't actually that comfortable with being out in their lifetime. Because it made me really think a lot. You know, I was thinking, is this really positive for bisexuality? Because it's telling us that actually, you know, one of her struggles, it it makes the point quite clearly in the doc that one of her struggles was that she couldn't use the word and she wasn't quite comfortable with it. And it, it contributed to her poor mental health. Or is it just a bit inappropriate to do it if the person in their lifetime didn't want to use that word to describe themselves? What do you think? It's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a, it's very, <laughs> it's a real ethical one. And, you know, I don't know. I'm always of the feeling and having dealt with several, um, sadly, several deaths recently, including my mum a couple of years ago, that it's important as much as possible to honour the wishes of the person who's died um, because... Um, I think often we don't do that. Often we just, we just, we, you know, yes, there's a funeral, blah, 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 blah. And then people forget about it. And it sounds awful, but that's what people do. Um, and I've had a situation with my mum, for example, whereby there were certain things she wanted to happen and still haven't happened two years on. And it really annoys me, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, part of me wants that. But then at the same time, the problem with bisexuality, as we know, is that it is hidden. Um, it's not talked about. And yeah, Amy's life would have been probably been better if she'd been able to be open and, and, and talk about it. I mean, I think it's OK to talk about Oscar Wilde 100 and odd years later mm. as, after he died and, and suggest that he was bisexual. Maybe it's just maybe it's the timing, Nikki. Maybe it's the timing. And I mean, we're 10 years on, but is 10 years still a little bit too soon in a way? Having said that, in raising the issue, um, which... You know, I know there's been we've had quite a few there's quite a few programs on around Amy kind of thing, but raising the issue with some people it might alert them to the fact that there is this issue with bisexuality that is under the radar, that there is this bioerasure, etc. But is that being talked about? Has anybody picked up on that? I mean, you will have done, but has anybody else picked up yeah. on that? Yeah, well, not to my knowledge. It was interesting because after I watched the program, of course, I did a bit of googling and I thought, oh, I, presumably at least like 
the the LGBT press has picked up on this and written something else about it, but they haven't. The only story is from is from ten years ago when she alluded to the fact that she was kind of bi or did like women some of the time. And so I just found it so interesting that in this story about her demise and what contributed to it, and they talk about the drugs and the alcohol and the tempestuous relationship with Blake, they don't talk about the fact that she couldn't be comfortable with her sexuality. Yeah, well, again, you're responding to it, and rightfully so. Others aren't. We've still got bioerasure, haven't we? It's just not mentioned. It's just not talked about. What about you? What do you think, Killers? When it comes to the subject of outing dead people... (laughs) um, (laughs) I think that ultimately is a case-by-case basis. So I say this um, thinking of, do you, I don't know if you guys ever um, have heard of that thing in Hollywood, like back in the golden age of Hollywood, where there was like this gas station and all the male and female celebrities would go in there. Everyone was a bit LGBT and going off and, and doing all this stuff. And the guy that ran it was very discreet, said nothing. Like, it was all good because he just believed in everyone being free love and no one should be judged. But then, sort of decades later, after they'd all kind of died and stuff, he then wrote a book and told everyone what was going on. And he got some blowback from that. But his kind of reasoning for that was like, well, look, they lived their lives. They were very happy with their lives and they were closeted. But now it's actually, I'm just telling the truth. And this and this is it. And why, I'm, you know kind of to that point of what we always think with bisexuality it's like well you know that you don't get any bisexuals over 30 it's like no you don't see any bisexuals over 30 because you perceive them as gay and straight and actually you know for us as lgbt people to be like oh well you know it's so weird that there were no lgbt people like that were famous before you know 2010 and it's like no there were they just had to hide it and actually i don't i don't see a problem with telling them also you know but this is why it's case by case, because some people might do it for, for the wrong reasons and some people might just be wrong. They might not have been. I think maybe with the Amy Winehouse thing, what would be interesting is if if you're trying to tell a story and do a documentary about someone that happened to be bisexual and that actually played a lot into their mental health. But you, if you weren't going to say that they were bisexual, then you might you, you're not telling the full story, really. You're kind of being like they had troubles with their mental health. We can't get into why. Um, but if it, if it was one and the same, that the bisexuality kind of was a, was a fundamental brick in that story, then you kind of have to tell it. I don't know. I kind of lead more towards, well, they're dead. What does it matter? And, you know, they live life on their own terms. And I guess to your point of like, oh, well, maybe if they gave consent that, oh, well, after I die, I tell everyone. But I guess if you're in that world, you're just so focused on hiding the secret. You're not like, oh, but after I die, I tell people. I don't know. I think it's probably, it depends on the individuals around who have survived, I think, to an extent, and how that's going to affect them a little bit. I think that's one another consideration, depending on what it is and what the context is. Um, but you mentioned the, the guy in the gas station. Actually, there's a fantastic drama called, literally called Hollywood, um, yeah. which was made a few years ago, which focuses on, on that gas station and all the guys and everything. It's worth uh, looking it up. I think it's still on Netflix or whatever. Um, I've watched it. It's so good. I've got the book, but I haven't finished it. <laughs> Look I've got the else. book too. Still, oh God, we've com- both confessed we've both got the book. Actually, my, I think my dad bought it for me even. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke. My mother-in-law got it for me. Ah, what is that? That's so funny. <laughs> the graphics at the beginning, the, the opening titles were done so well. It's just beautifully done and the music and everything. Um, and it annoys me because they, they do these opening titles and as you know now on Netflix and whatever, they say, skip the titles. 
And you're like, no, somebody's put loads of creativity in that. It's that. Watch the bloody titles. You know, really irritates me that. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. And then the other thing, Lewis, picking up on what you said there, somebody said to me recently on a forum um, when I complained again that uh, Russell T. Davies hadn't made anything of people who are bisexual, very little people who are bisexual in It's a Sin, that um, the reason for that was there wasn't anybody, any bisexuals around. There wasn't anybody. There was no bisexual stories because nobody was around, which is ridiculous, I know. I know from Russell's perspective, as a gay man, um, he probably didn't see many and not many were open and all that kind of thing. But those those stories will have existed. And, you know, I did say to this, this person who was, who was criticising what I was saying that actually... Um, I do get it from Russell's perspective that, you know, you're doing a drama about the gay the gay experience of HIV in the early 1980s. That's fine. I'm not criticising that. But what I was trying to say was actually there are people out there who were bisexual, who do have stories to tell, and we need to dig for them. We need to find those stories to, to you know. But that's what I mean. There's this, there's this perception that um, because... Like you were saying, bisexuals only existed from 2010 onwards or whatever. Yeah. There's this perception that somehow everyone's started to choose to be bisexual rather than actually were bisexual anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, weird, it's a weird thing. And it's probably not helped by, and, and yes, it's a positive thing, all these different things that are going on in the world in terms of sexuality and everyone's talking about um, gender as well. And you know, there's lots of discussions going on, but it, 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 in a way... It, it pushes our situation around trying to legitimise bisexuality and the fact that it's been around for since you know time memorial. Um, it sort of pushes it down a bit further again. You know what I mean? Which brings me to the first question that was asked of um, of us um, when we put out the uh, appeal for ask a bisexual for people to put questions to us uh, that we can um, debate and, and and talk about um, on the show and, and please keep them coming you can send emails to info at madeinmanchester.tv or you can send us direct messages if you follow us on twitter or even just an open message if you want to please get in touch with us um, with your questions so the first question that we got was is bisexuality genetic and what do we think about all that what's our feelings on that is bisexuality genetic? None of us are scientists. Um, but how do we feel about just that question? Nikki? That is such an interesting question. Okay, so is there a genetic component to bisexuality? Might be a better way of framing it. But I think the answer would probably still be no. I mean, if we want to look at evolution, there's probably an evolutionary function of bisexuality, like there is of uh, homosexuality. But actually, if you're bi, then it's probably covered by the science of homosexuality. So that's that's as far as my scientific knowledge relating to kind of like evolution and uh, sexuality pertains. But does it matter if there is a component of um, genetics to it? Because I think whenever somebody asks that question, it always makes me slightly anxious at what they're trying to say is we need to find a scientific reasoning to allow us to be this thing. Otherwise, it's somehow illegitimate and we shouldn't be doing it and it's against nature. And that's always a very slippery path to yeah, go Yeah, it's like you're mm. talking about it as though, as though we're trying to justify the fact that people are... Uh, because we're trying to say it's some kind of abnormality or something, aren't we? That's what worries me about these questions. And we've had it for several years, haven't we? We keep having um, 
research coming out saying, oh, bisexualities do exist, bisexuality doesn't exist, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And the same with gay, gay things, you know, it's often been this case, hasn't it? You know, people trying to prove that, you know, what it, where it comes from and all the rest of it. And of course, then it leads people to think, oh, is there a way of, of doing something that would stop this happening and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? You get that in the debate as well. So I, I personally, this is my view on it, I don't think it matters. I don't care yeah. whether there's gender or not gender, whether it's whether it's um, nurtured or na- nurture or nature. It just exists in different ways, you know. Lewis. Well, you guys kind of went down a rabbit hole that I didn't really think of. What was the, remind me of the wording of the question again? The question was: Is it genetic? Is bisexuality genetic? Okay. So in my head, I kind of was like, "Does that is that kind of the whole, oh, are, are my children as a bisexual, are they more likely to be bisexual because of me? That was kind of how, where I went with it. Um, which obviously, as we kind of, like, I'm a scientist, I don't know. Obviously, wasn't there that great story, Ash, about that bi guy that you did where his son did come out as bi? So there's, there is that whole like, oh, does it, does it run in families? And I've definitely seen sort of LGBT families. I've got some friends where it's like, yeah, all the siblings are LGBT, which is interesting. Um and in fact, we've got a story coming up in a few weeks' time in which the couple are bisexual and all their kids are either gay, bi or trans. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. These are just like general observations. I do think there's probably something to if, I, if you're if you are a bisexual, you're not going to your kids are never going to really experience biphobia or homophobia from you. So they're never going to be worried about coming out and they probably might be more self-aware of their own sexuality in a way where if you grew up in a really like don't even think about it you're not even going to see yourself on the spectrum if you even if you just are a tiny bit i don't know but ultimately i mean yeah as your point i don't think it really matters but actually you know what what you just said lewis about if you are bisexual you your child will experience biphobia well actually in my household my mum was secretly bisexual and didn't reveal it and actually was biphobic towards me when i came out so if you are comfortable with your bisexuality, you can inadvertently make your children anxious about theirs. We sorted it out many years later. Now it's all fine to talk about. But at the time, ta- you know, we had this period of not, you know, we didn't get on because it was, she, she was being triggered by me coming out. The other thing I would say as well is it really gets my back up when people say, um, oh, well, your sexuality isn't a choice. And the reason this gets my back up is because in a liberal democracy, surely you should be allowed to choose who you sleep with, providing they are a consenting adult. So like some people say, oh, you, I can't help being gay. So therefore you've got to just accept the fact I can't help it. Like it's just who I am. But for me, I feel like I, there is an element of choice in my bisexuality. It isn't just something that is innate to me. And I like choosing it. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you feel the same about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you, but 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 some people look upon that badly, don't they? They look upon that as though it's like, well, it's not it's not natural. It, it, you're, you're choosing a lifestyle, and you you know right. why why are you doing that? And 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 you know you're sort of corrupting the world by doing this. You know, on the extreme, that's what people think. Yeah, Lewis. Yeah. Um, bisexuality or LGBT a choice? I mean, I I don't think it is a choice. Um, because I think if you grew up in a in a country where you're going to be killed for it, you probably just choose to to be straight. Um, and you know they they physically can't help it and they can't hide it, as we kind of see. So I I don't really think it's a choice. Um, I think obviously you have a choice of how much you act upon it, whether you're going to be unapologetically who you are or whether you're going to be like, look, I know I'm gay, 
but I'm just going to spend the rest of my life hiding it because I don't want to deal with it and I don't think it's right. So the, the choice in that sense of how it manifests, but yeah. I don't think choice is in your, you know, your actual sexuality. Yeah, you can't choose your biological response to somebody. Like, yeah. you fancy them, you fancy them. Yeah, that I agree with completely. Thanks um, for bringing the question to us, and I'm sure we'll do more on this with scientists and people in in future months we've done some on this uh, already actually if you if you um listen back to some of the podcasts uh, there was an interview we did um when we first started wasn't there nikki i think with uh, a guy who'd done some research into whether bisexuality in men existed or not because there'd been some research 10 years before i think saying bisexuality didn't exist at all yeah we're still back to the same old chestnut like can we prove do we have to still prove that bisexuals exist apart from you know and just the irony of him coming on bisexual brunch to Tell us that we do exactly. But but the thing thing about this as well, of course, is there's loads of money being spent on this kind of research. When actually, I think we prefer the money to be spent on helping (laughs) bisexual people. They can just pay us, and we'll tell them all about it. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's quite annoying actually that they do do these kind of things to prove something exists when there are millions of people out there who can testify it exists. You know what, what? Why? And, and how do people get away with that? I find it bizarre, to be honest. But, you know, that's the world we, you know, we, we, we live in. And bisexuality, sadly, is still um, below the radar in, in different ways. Now, this is one for you two directly, because you're both ooh, in ooh. heterosexual facing relationships. This has come from somebody who got in touch with us on, uh, on Twitter. But it's been a question that's been posed to me several times recently, actually, around bisexuality. And I'm in a homosexual-facing relationship, and it feels that I don't get the question as much on this because I think because I'm bisexual in a homosexual-facing um, relationship, that sl- people slightly forgive it because it's like, well, you're sort of you're saying bisexual, so you're not, you know, even though you are bisexual, and we might not trust you particularly because you're bisexual um, because of all the myths, etc. You're still sort of saying you're one of us, you're, you're queer, you're part of the community in that, that sense. But some people seem to have a problem um, with the issue of people in heterosexual facing relationships saying that they're bisexual. And several people have said to me, why does it matter? Why do they need to bother? You know, you've got the privilege of, of, of being in a, in, a, in a straight world, you can live in a straight relationship, you, all that kind of thing. Why do you bother with it? But why does it matter? And somebody actually asked this question directly. Um, why does it matter um, to have the bisexual label if you're in, in a heterosexual relationship? Who wants to come up with that one first? Me. That is, it's just the most irritating question in the world, isn't it? As though, oh, well, you know, you, your partner is um, of the opposite, of, of, of an opposite gender um, or sex. You know, you, you look like a straight couple. What's the problem? Um, and you know, it's like, well, where, where do we begin? And, but I think maybe where we begin is like, well, that would be very convenient for you, wouldn't it? But that is part of the trouble, as we've kind of said before. It's like, oh, well, you know, you're practically gay if you're in an opposite sexuality. You know, you're practically straight. So we can just kind of say, well, bisexuality just sort of dies out as soon as you settle down, which is the most biphobic thing ever. So it's usually people that pose that question are quite biphobic or at least by ignorant. I'm just going to say that. Um, I think, you know, we can get into so many issues. So we can get into, okay, well, you know, just because I'm in a relationship doesn't mean that it's still hard for me to, you know, if I'm talking about being bisexual in front of, you know, my fiance's 
family and maybe that, you know, we we haven't talked about that or, or really early on where we hadn't talked about that. Um, having kids, having as well, you know, your straight partner, I have found, can kind of become a target for biphobia themselves because they're being told, oh, you know, they're going to cheat. Oh, oh, you've been together five years. Oh, he must be aching to go back to men by now. You know, oh, all that kind of stuff. There, there's so many different levels. It's just a different experience. Yes, I am not likely to be holding my partner's hand walking down the street and be attacked. But that's not to say there aren't other avenues for people to attack me that's not to say there aren't other avenues for feeling you know sometimes because I get this a lot there are a lot of people that are in straight relationships that are like oh I feel how can I let my bisexuality manifest and what can I do and it's it's such an important part of me um that I that I want to that I want to do something to to kind of market and obviously I do we're in a a monogamous relationship so it's not going to be a sex thing but maybe it's a pride thing and maybe it's There's so many different elements that I just think that question of like, oh, well, you look straight, so let's call a spade a spade. It's like, no, let's not call a spade a spade or I'm going to hit you over the head with a spade. Um, Anyway, that's that's kind of my thought. (laughs) I I thought I didn't quite hear that. And I was like, did he just say that? Yeah, yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. Obviously, (laughs) I don't advocate violence. This is the violent bisexual of the trio coming out. Sorry. Isn't it it's aggressor? a joke. It's a joke. I'm not calling for violence at all. Um, well, for me, it's just actually really simple that if somebody who is young and bi and in the closet feels afraid to use the word and they see me use it and they see it doesn't preclude them from having a relationship with someone who's heterosexual or getting married or doing things that they might want to do that are quite socially conventional, then that makes me happy it's up to me if I'm even slightly in the public eye to be a model for other people to make them feel happy and comfortable if that's one little thing I can do in my life if one person feels better about themselves because I'm out then that makes me feel it's worthwhile can you understand though um why a lot of people who are in heterosexual and this leads us on to another question actually in a moment who are in heterosexual facing relationships basically absorb themselves in that and never mention bisexuality again. I do, because it's just easier. And especially like like Lewis was saying, you know, I don't think my mum-in-law knows I'm bisexual and that's not a conversation, you know, she she came, she has been, she's lived her most of her life as a quite a strict Muslim. She is from um, Myanmar and then Bangladesh. It would be a very difficult conversation and a very uncomfortable conversation for us to have. So... I've, you know, it would be much easier if I just didn't mention it ever again in case she comes across it. And maybe at one point she'll ask me the question because she is quite upfront about stuff. But I just weather it. So I do understand why people just think, you know what, this is how I present now. Most people aren't going to bother me about it. I don't, I'm, I'm committed to this person, so I'll just leave it be. And I, and, and I don't have a problem with that. I don't disrespect someone because they choose to do that. Do what you feel is comfortable for you, always. But if you are comfortable using the label, then continue to use it. And then we've had um, a question which sort of leads on from there, really, uh, about how bi men who are married keep the fact that they are bisexual secret and why they do that. Lewis, you've had letters over many, many years, haven't you? People touch with you who are in uh, relationships and have kept their bisexuality very secret. By men that are married that kind of keep the whole thing a secret, I think, well, there's a couple of uh, points to it. And I guess it depends which one you are. So there, there are some by men that like know that they're bisexual, feel that they need to act upon that 
um, but that there's no point having a discussion with their other half around um, having, you know, having an open marriage or all the bisexuality. So just do it on the off chance. Doesn't need to know. Once every six months a year, that's it. Itch scratch. I can go back to playing the, the role of the straight man. Um, there are also a lot of others that I think kind of know they're bisexual, but because they've never been in a bisexual situation or knowingly had a conversation with bisexuals, they just, even though it's like, yeah, I, I kind of know that as I walk down the street, I notice men as well. And I'm, I'm looking at his crotch because I can kind of see a dick print and eat like, you know, oh, well, I love those muscles that I am on that guy in the park. And, oh, when he took his top off, even though, you know, when my wife takes her top off, it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But just still don't piece it together as like, well, I'm not gay. So, you know, because I like my wife and I like a lot of other women and we have great sex and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not gay, but I, I can appreciate, you know, a, a good looking man. Just not having the tools. It's like right there. The word is right there. But, but still kind of to themselves, I guess, is what I'm saying. Not really. Not sort of. Not even. I'm, I'm not saying they know and they're denying. They, they just haven't had the realization of, oh, I'm bisexual and that's okay. Because I think, because they've grown up in such a biphobic society, they genuinely don't see it as an option, I think, is is kind of the majority of the situation. And then something happens, like they listen to an episode of Bisexual Brunch, they're like, oh my God, that's okay. And people have been talking about it and there's been books written on it. And it's this whole thing. Why does society hide it from me? Now what do I do? Now that I've had this realization, I'm like 10 years into my marriage. Now what? Yeah, they see Lewis Oakley with his top off and they think, oh, the pennies drop. <laughs> That'd turn me every time, Lewis. Oh, well. If thank I was you. A, <laughs> a, a on the brink bisexual man. The, the, obviously, people who find it very difficult to, to come out. And my experience of that, and I've said it several times on the show, is that people have sort of a bit of an epiphany when they get to a certain age and they suddenly decide, you know what, I'm actually attracted to men as well as women, um, but I'm going to go the full hog and go and have a relationship with a man and never talk about my, you know, straight side ever again kind of thing. And therefore I'm gay. And I think that causes even more problems because they just can't, you know, they never ever um, manage to face that issue of being bisexual, which is quite sad, really. You know, it's, it's quite scary that, um, we're forcing people throughout their lives into binaries. You know, you often hear it, don't you? You know, so-and-so has been married for 20 years and he's left his wife for a, for a bloke kind of thing. And everyone assumes then that actually he was living a life 20 years as, as a gay man. And it may be the case in certain circumstances, but in a lot of cases, it's not the case at all, is it? And we don't see, we just cannot get to grips with that. We can't, we never ever address that. I mean, I think that was the case with, we don't know, again, it's somebody who died years and years ago, but I think that's the case with Oscar Wilde. I think Oscar Wilde was, you know, bisexual and he had a re legitimate relationship with his wife and all the rest of it, and but then also had sex with men as well, you know. So it's sort of, it, it's existed in, for, forever, but it's just, we still have a problem in sort of admitting that. And for a guy coming out as bi or gay or whatever in the 40s or 50s, that's a big thing, and it, you know, and it causes lots of problems as well. Not just the heartache problems with the relationship with the, you know, the the wife and the ki wife and the kids or whatever it may be, um, but also in the whole thing of actually dating and getting to know people because you're a kid again, aren't you? Which brings us very neatly, actually, to our next question, uh, which is how do you go about dating men 
um, after you spent a lifetime dating women? Um, we'll be answering that after we've heard our latest bisexual journey story and our chat with the director of Loki, the new bisexual Marvel character. All that to come on this edition of Bisexual Brunch. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So then, another bisexual journey story. And this time, it's Lil Davis, who is uh, originally from Israel, but has lived in London uh, for quite a few years. Um, She's 34, lives in London, is very creative. And we'll find out a bit about that uh, as we go on uh, during the the interview. Lil, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us on Bisexual Brunch to tell your bisexual journey story. And I know you've been following Bisexual Brunch and listening to some of these stories. And as you're yeah. probably aware, um, the, the, the conversation can get quite revealing sometimes. So uh, mm. <laughs> just, just, just be aware of that. Anything you don't want to talk about, you can, you can say, no, I'm not going there, not going there. Um, but I seem to have a habit of drawing out these personal things from people. But everyone seems to be very open and, and very happy to, to talk, which is great. And I think that has really connected with a lot of people. And why the podcast is doing so well, not just in the UK, but, you know, all around the world. So, okay, let's let's start then. Um, you know, sometimes we go right to the beginning, sometimes we start at where we are now, sometimes we go in the middle, etc., etc. Let's Let's do it slightly differently. How do you perceive your bisexuality? Why would you define it for you? What, what does it mean to you? Right, so... Um... For me, what it means is that I'm uh, attracted to people um, of like any gender, really. Um, sometimes I call it pansexual, but um, definitely after listening to the podcast, I realized that the term bisexual actually can mean that as well, um, which is why I define myself as both. Um, yeah, so for me, it just means that I'm attracted to people regardless of what gender they are. Um, yeah. 
and what and what does it mean to you practically on a day-to-day -day basis what kind of situation are you in at the moment uh, you know are you in a straight facing situation gay facing situation are you very yeah. very bi are you what you tell us tell us what's going on in your mind and your world at the moment sure um so my situation um and i think you um touched on it in one of the latest um episodes uh is that i'm not non-monogamous um so i have um two partners at the moment that I call my partner. Um, uh, one of them is a man, um, and that's been um, a long-term relationship. So until quite um, recently, I was very much straight-facing, um, which in a way led me to the podcast, to the Bisexual Brunch podcast. Um, and my other partner, um, the more recent one is uh, non-binary and I also date people casu more casually. Um, some of them are women and some of them are men and some of them are neither. <laughs> and how has that worked out in terms of the people you're actually currently in a sort of relationship with? Have you been completely open with them from the very start? You know, how has it played out or have you had to sort of negotiate things in a way to sort of suit each of you you know how how has it played out because the one thing that comes into all of these things that nobody ever talks about of course is the little word jealousy isn't it because that can mm. be an issue can't it when we're talking about people's emotions and things yeah um so the the way it started for me i was uh, in my um straight facing monogamous relationship for a few years um before we decided to open things up um and before that I was monogamous my whole life um didn't really entertain the idea of not being monogamous uh, exactly because I thought I'd be jealous and I'd feel like I was losing the other person um but for some reason in this relationship I felt so secure um and so sure of our commitment to each other that I could start to entertain at first, not the idea of being in an open relationship, but the idea of um, having more than one sexual partner at the time. Um, so at first it was just the two of us exploring sexually um, as a couple. And one of our first, one of my first experiences with a person who wasn't my um, partner, um, was supposed to be a threesome uh, but my partner for whatever reason didn't feel up to it at the time and he was like no you should go ahead and meet this person anyway um and I did um and I wasn't sure how it was gonna happen um I was quite worried about my partner I kept checking with him that he was okay but he was he just kept saying no go go have fun <laughs> which I did and I remember thinking distinctly that I I was really enjoying myself but in no way whatsoever did I feel like this person was going to replace my partner or that in any way this experience I'm having is making me doubt my feelings for my partner and actually the other way the the freedom that our relationship allowed me, made me feel closer to him. And then that, from that point, from that place, I could see how he might have an experience with somebody who wasn't me. Um, and in 
not want to replace me with that person. Uh, so that was kind of my beginning of getting over this idea of jealousy or of losing my partner to somebody else. Sounds, um, sounds like you've got a very understanding partner, which is fantastic. Yeah. And is he, um, you know, how does he term himself? Is he straight, bisexual? How does he see himself? Uh, he's straight. I wish he was bisexual, but he's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you had that first encounter, and presumably you went and then spoke to him about it and told him about it, how did he? How did he react to it all? Um, it wasn't. Uh, it. I think there was definitely some element of jealousy there and some element of insecurity. Um, and at first, it wasn't so easy as. Um, it might seem now, but um, we were just, because our communication was so good and so open and we are able to talk about all these things, uh, we were just very open and honest with each other about how we felt and what it meant to us. And I think that just gave it space to settle and um, become okay. So yeah, so, so you've told us about your situation now, in the here and now, where you are. Um, we'll talk a bit more about that in a bit, but let, let's let's actually take things back. Where, where do your, you know, where where did your bisexual thoughts originate, and and were they there, you know, when you were younger, when you were a teenager, whatever, or is it something that's gradually developed? Mm, yeah, absolutely developed gradually. Um, I. The first time I heard the term bisexual was around this time, the time I first heard the term um, homosexual. So I was sort of aware that a thing existed, but wasn't really aware of anybody who was that. Um, so I didn't know anybody bisexual um, until pretty re recently. Um, I, I started being attracted to boys um, sort of quite... Uh, towards the end of primary school probably um, and um, yeah I was mainly attracted to men um, until I was about 18 I think um, and I remember going to this uh, bar and meeting somebody who I used to go to high school with and then I don't know if it actually happened or maybe I dreamt about it later on it's a bit fuzzy but um, it, in my dream or in reality, like we were going to kiss on the cheek and then she kissed me on the neck. And that I remember being attracted to her at that point, um, which is the first time I really found myself attracted sexually to a woman. I've always appreciated like the way women look. Um, and I always used to, you know, draw naked women when I was doodling about but it was never the idea of me doing anything with it um, and at that point I remember distinctly being attracted to a woman for the first time um, and not doing anything about it for a long time because it was just so easy being in heterosexual relationships um, and that was something that I had no experience of I had no no one to talk to about really um, no examples of it so from that point on, I was reluctant to call myself heterosexual, but also didn't quite call myself bisexual because I'd never acted on it. On it, And it would be years after that where I first had an experience with somebody who wasn't a man. 
Now you grew up in Israel, didn't you? Um, yeah. What was what was the climate like when it came to things like sexuality and talking about it in Israel? What, what's the you know? It's quite a liberal place, isn't it? Generally, mainly most of Israel is that right? Um, in in certain, definitely like in terms of the LGBTQ um, community in Tel Aviv, and Tel Aviv as a city is a very liberal place, like you might say London was. Um, the rest of Israel, maybe not so much. Um, definitely like gay was very much a slur word when I was growing up. Um, and I remember like somebody once called me a lesbian as a kind of slur word. And I remember being quite offended when I was a teenager. Um, so yeah, it is, it's relatively liberal, but also still very much there's a lot of homophobia going on. So so there was in the background that was there, wasn't it? So that would have stopped you or, you know, it would have, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a straight relationship or you're in a straight world or whatever, you're going to, you're not going to necessarily push to go, you know, and experiment in those areas because of the climate, aren't you really? It just exactly. Happen. And I was never very much of a rebellious person, even in my teens. I was always quite happy to just like go along with the mainstream and, uh, you know, just do what's expected of me and just not, not make a fuss. So because I was attracted to men and I was in heterosexual relationships, there wasn't very much of a... Uh, a drive to explore outside of that. Do you think in any of those other heterosexual facing relationships you, ha- you had, do you think any of the men that you were with um, would have or could have actually contemplated and tolerated what you have now? Or looking back, I mean, did you ever did you ever talk about it? Did you ever mention to them that you might be attracted to, to women or other genders or anything like that? I mean, how do you think they might have reacted if you'd if you'd pushed it way back then? Hmm. Yeah, that's uh I'm not sure. I think definitely in my maybe previous partner before my now long-term partner, I think he would have been very much into the idea of opening the relationship. Um he was struggling with um monogamy, uh but at that point I wasn't ready to look beyond it. Um, so I think he would have actually been really happy if I turned around and said, please, could we, um, introduce other people? Um, the people before that, uh, it's quite a long time ago. I've been with my current partner, partner for a long time and with my previous partner also for a long time. So I can't, I couldn't really tell you. Now this notion of, um, ethical non-monogamy, which is basically mm. what, you're in really isn't it? it's that kind of yeah. that kind of relationship um i think there's lots of people out there who would say yeah that'd be great i'd really love to do that obviously we talked about before you know the issue of uh, of jealousy um comes into it and it obviously is a you know we talk about bisexual journey but a, that kind of thing as well just to get to the point of ethical non-monogamy is a journey in itself isn't it in terms mm. of just trying to come to terms with the the whole process because we are in a world aren't we whereby any kind of in inverted commas, what their people think of is cheating or whatever, or doing something other than be with the main person you're with, is 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 frowned upon, isn't it? It's a, there is a huge stigma um, about any kind of extra curricular activity, as it were, with anybody who's in a 
um, what is perceived as a, a long-term relationship. How do you think that hampers the way we all are in terms of our mental health? I mean, there is a question, isn't there? You know, you know, some people are very monogamous and don't have a problem with it and all the rest of it. But mm. for a lot of people, you know, the prospect of not having sex with anybody else for the entirety of the rest of their life, you know, is that is that right? Is that natural? You know, these are questions we never ask, uh, you know, and, and and never answer. And what I'm trying to say basically is, do you think it, do you think those issues have an effect on people's day to day mental health? Did it affect you for any period of time? Yeah, absolutely. It affected me. Um, so with my previous partner that I've just spoken about, um, he was. Um, while we were we were married, and while we were married, he um, started working with this um, other woman that he was very much attracted to, and they were working very closely together. They were together in a theatre company, um, and it's always this: <laughs> when you're on stage with somebody, there's a lot of emotion, and especially if you're touring, so you get all these experiences together, and they they fell in love. Um, and at that point, I felt like I was being replaced. And I was, um, you know, as as long as he was very honest with me about it from the start. Um, and at first, I took it to say, well, OK, you fancy somebody else. That happens. I also sometimes fancy other people. But, you know, as long as you don't do anything about it, that's fine. Um, but it wasn't fine for him. He wanted to act on it and he wasn't just interested in sleeping with this person he was falling in love um and at that point I became very insecure um and that basically brought the end of our relationship um I think maybe in this particular case the end of their relationship was imminent anyway um but uh yeah it definitely affected my mental health at that point, at the breaking point, um, this idea that, um, you know, and it, it, it made me feel like I was unattractive, like I wasn't enough. Um, and yeah, it was quite difficult to take. Um, and I, I see around me people who, who are badly affected by the by this idea that comes from society that if somebody wants to be with another person it necessarily means that they don't love you enough that you're not good enough or that you're not enough for them or that they're not good enough for you that you know <laughs> um the key the key, so the key the key at the end of the day is is communication isn't it and if you can communicate with your partner or partners um then it's so much better but i think as a society we just well <laughs> we we still aren't that good at communication are we that's the problem overall you know no and i think you've got it absolutely right i think it's being monogamous it's a sort of shortcut to saying you know you can trust me uh, it's a it's a safety blanket, um, but in so many ways it just doesn't work. Um, and I think definitely there's something to say to having rules in place. Um, but I think if you can't talk to your partner about your desires and what you want to do, then either you're going to cheat on them or you're going to resent them. If, if the communication 
is not possible because there's a stigma attached to it, then it's just not, you're not going to be the best couple that you can be. And also it's about sort of seeing in, seeing sex in context as well, isn't it, really, in a way? Mm. I think people find that very difficult because, you know, certainly in the past I would have thought, oh, if somebody, if, if a partner of mine suddenly went and had sex with somebody else, I'd think, oh, that's, a, that's, that's crazy, that person is now committed to that person, sex is the most important thing in a relationship, blah, 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 blah. As I've got older, I've realised sex, you know, sex can be um, very much part of a relationship, it can be very deep, meaningful, all the rest of it, but at other times it's... It's really a function in a way, isn't it? You know what I mean? Do you not think? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think in a long-term relationship, it is hard to keep a certain level of sexual activity. Um, you can try very hard and it's a good thing to do. And definitely it's going to help with a relationship. And I think a lot of it um, is also about communication. Um, but... Yeah, it, it just because you want to have sex with somebody else, that doesn't mean that you want to leave your partner. And if you were able to go and do that, if you're able to act on these purely, sometimes purely physical uh, or chemical needs, um, and then go to your partner and be open and honest about it and um, and reassure them that this does not in any way change your feeling towards them I think people just would be happier in their relationships and of course as we said before there's more to a relationship than sex as well because there's affection which is probably for me probably the most important part of a long-term relationship is the affection side of things if that disappeared I think I'd have a I'd have an issue with with where we were kind of thing kind of you know in my certainly my relationships so I think we're I think over time we're it's taking a while, isn't it? Because we're in the 21st century now and you think we'd be mm. quite sophisticated. But we haven't really got to grips with the whole, you know, pantheon of, of, of human beings and their feelings towards relationships and sex and all the rest of it. In terms of your situation now, so you're, you're, you've got um, a sort of a pansexual kind of situation going on. So you're yeah. seeing you, you've got your long term par- uh, partner, uh, male partner, and then you're having a relationship with somebody who's non-binary. That's right, you were yeah. saying. Um how I mean, do they connect as well? Do they talk about things? Do they talk about you? Are they are they friends too? What's the situation there? Not yet. <laughs> so my two current partners haven't met. Um, nothing to do particularly with the fact that we're in an open relationship or non-monogamous. Uh, it's just um, it's just how it's happened um, during lockdown and people's like people's own insecurities um within themselves uh so no they haven't met yet um but uh me and my partner have like dated people together before um and then gone and dated the same people separately and everybody knew each other um so we have been in in that situation just currently this particular one although I'm working on it it's going to happen soon <laughs> I would like them to meet and tell us a little bit about the non-binary aspect of this because mm-hmm. we don't often well we do hear a lot about non-binary but we don't necessarily always hear it in the context of somebody being 
bisexual and their partner being non-binary or whatever. You know, it doesn't rest. We don't see. And of course, people get confused as well between non-binary and bisexual, and they don't, they don't understand the differences, which is I always find really frustrating because yeah. you think there are people out there in the media who should know should know better, really. But how does it for you? How did that sort of come come to fruition? And how was the person? You know, were they very open with you from the start about their their gender side of things and you know, has it been something that you've had to yourself learn a few things along the way? Because obviously, until a few years ago, nobody ever talked about non-binary, did they? Yeah, absolutely. And definitely when I sort of started defining myself as bisexual, I only thought of myself attracted to men and women. Um, and then through the fact that in my at least in my echo chamber, uh, the term non-binary has become a lot more um, visible and prevalent. Um, and I'd met people who um, then defined as non-binary and I knew more people who were trans and non-binary and um, through that, and, and I think as soon as I started opening my mind to more than just heterosexual relationships, it was gradually just a matter of time until I thought, well, why do they have to be either a man or a woman? Um, I'm attracted to people not because of how they define their gender. Um, so uh, I was in lockdown in this heterosexual, um, effectively monogamous relationship because I couldn't go anywhere <laughs> and I was living with my partner. Um, and as soon as things started opening out a little bit, I felt like I wanted to explore my sexuality more and that I had, and I wanted to be active about it, uh, which is the point where I started listening to the Bisexual Brunch podcast and also um, going on OkCupid, um, which is a dating app, um, and setting my search criteria to women and non-binary people. Um, because I felt, because I felt like I was already in a relationship with a heterosexual man, um, and I wasn't looking for any more of that. Um, I was exploring my sexuality and wanted to. Um, and this has all come. This has all come since the COVID crisis. It's all come in lockdown, is it? You came. You basically started to explore all of this during this last couple of years where we've been all isolating kind of no um that started before i started i was che i checked the other day um we opened our relationship in 2018 um summer of 2018 is when i started exploring but it was a pretty slow process in terms of um at first, it was more focused on the sort of more than two partners aspect of it and dating as a couple. Um, and from that, I started having um, interactions with uh, women. Um, that was the first time I actually acted on that sort of uh, side of my attraction. Um, but I was very shy <laughs> trying to meet women. I found it a lot harder than meeting men because I wasn't as used to it. Um, and also, I think there's a different expectation of women in terms of making the first move and being forward. Um, 
I found it a lot easier personally to date men uh, and meet men on dating apps. Uh, so the sort of the dating women part was quite slow and I was quite shy about it and didn't really know how to approach it. Um, and it was always a function of being included with other people. Um, um, and that was that was okay. It was what it was. It just took the time that it needed to take. Um, and then, you know, I've not always been as active in my non-monogamous um, exploits as um, I was to begin with because sometimes you don't have time. It's quite time consuming <laughs> to meet all these people and go on all these dates. Um, and... I, I'm just I'm not the kind of person who meets many people in real life. I don't feel very comfortable um just coming up to people and um yeah yeah, yeah. no I, so. I, I, I understand that I understand that what about and obviously there were people listening to this who are in relationships who've thought about um having some kind of you know threesome or whatever it may be and bringing somebody else in into their relationship uh, whatever their situation is that often people think about that and talk about that. But of course, there's a lot of nerves that goes with that. Nerves for you and you and your partner. But equally, the other person who gets involved with you and your partner. Let's talk about that a little bit. What what have you done in those situations? Say with your male partner, you know, with heterosexual side of things. What have you done, or how do you how have you managed to help that person, that that third person, feel comfortable and relaxed? Because there will be people listening to this thinking, actually, I'd love to do that. I'd love to get involved with a couple of people or whatever. A, they don't know about how to go about it, but but more than anything, I would have thought a lot of them are just frightened of what on earth do I do? How do I approach it and all the rest of it? Just just tell us a bit about your experiences there, if you can. Yeah. Um. So I've had some more successful experience and some awkward experiences. Um. I think the main difference between them um was the level of communication before we started establishing. Uh, a level of open communication and rapport that can then make everybody feel comfortable when you <laughs> come to doing the more, you know, revealing things um, where you're more vulnerable. Uh, so definitely, like, having one or two, like, just dates where you just sit and chat and develop... Um, a chemistry between you, I think, is quite vital. And then being able to be quite um, open and honest about what you want and don't want and would like to try and um, would rather never go <laughs> uh, with. Um, and keeping that going while you're in the bedroom together, just communicating. It's all about communication. No, absolutely. And have you, with these people you've met, uh, whether it be people you've met one-to-one -one or people you've met within the relationships, um, you know, together, uh, have you continued and maintained um, a connection, a friendship, or has it been things which have just been fleeting or, you know, as the, as the connections continued? Yeah, definitely some of them. Some of them were just one-off or two-off experiences and then just didn't go anywhere uh but i've made friends through um dating people um 
that I'm still friends with today um, and occasionally we <laughs> we meet for more than that um, yeah I, I definitely when it started it was more about the one-off experiences and about you know experimenting and being wild and having um, yeah lots of exciting <laughs> exciting encounters uh, but once that sort of uh, new uh, infatuation with the idea that of my of my f- sexual freedom sort of didn't wear off but it wasn't so new anymore um the kind of emphasis became more on getting along with people and developing more sustained uh, friendships with people which i think is like the development of a of a, any relationship like at first it's like all about the new and exciting and then you learn that there's a lot more to it and actually the, being able to feel at home with somebody and be yourself with somebody uh, is a lot more nourishing no ab- absolutely and in terms of your relationships with men and women and uh, non-binary people uh, is there any sort of um, split off between your the way you communicate with people both sexually and emotionally you know do you do you find that you've got a more of an emotional attachment to certain types of people and a more uh, sexual attachment to others you know I mean we talk about in bisexuality this 50-50 thing it all springs from the whole Kinsey thing back in the 50s obviously and there are people who describe themselves as completely 50-50 and other people I mean quite a lot of the bisexual men we've spoken to so far seem to be in straight facing relationships whereby they feel more emotionally attached to the women, but really need to have sex with men as well. Um, mm. I think I'm in a slightly different thing. I think I'm more emotionally attached to men. Um, uh, and, and actually the female side of things is more of a sexual thing. Um, obviously, everybody's varying degrees. Where where do you think you sit in that? Or does it change? I mean, it probably alters over time, doesn't it? Depends on the person. Yeah, I, I feel that um, in that aspect as well I'm on a journey um I feel like most of my life I've been in um, long-term relationships with men um which is what I'm used to so um I've never been so far uh in um in a committed relationship with a woman yet um so I don't know how that would be uh just because the opportunity hasn't presented itself to me yet um i would definitely love to explore that which is why i decided to start being more active with dating women um and my partner who's non-binary i guess sort of defies this question in a way because they're they're not they don't define themselves as a man or a woman. Um, and I definitely see why they don't define themselves as either or. Um, it, I, ideally, the idea of gender wouldn't have to matter at all. And I wouldn't need to tell you that because this person behaves a certain way, then they're not like not fully a man or fully a woman. Um, but I can definitely see how in in light of the society that we live in today, this person wouldn't feel um, completely comfortable calling themselves a man or a woman. And I, I 
see them as that now. Um, so I guess I am in a committed relationship with somebody who's um, non-binary and that's just as good as being in a committed relationship with somebody who's a man. And I imagine, should I find a woman with which I can have this type of partnership, uh, I imagine it wouldn't be very different to me. Really, really interesting talking to you because um, I don't think we talk, we've spoken to anybody until now who's in that kind of situation where you, you've got two partners and you're in that sort of pansexual situation. It'd be very interesting to hear from you at some point down the line uh, when you manage to connect them and, and hopefully they get on, fingers crossed, with each other and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, but, but obviously there'll be people listening to this. I mean, you know, we, we, we've got it, in, we've got our head around it all. But there will be people listening who may be listening to Bisexual Brunch for the first time who listen to this and think, oh, this is really complicated. <laughs> because it could, <laughs> it could be perceived as quite complicated, couldn't it? But it's about, I suppose really, it's about just throwing out the window all your notions of, and your prejudices and your misconceptions and your, your, your general sort of, I don't know, that, that, that think of, of the way in which the world sits and just realising that we are human beings who've got lots of places we can fit and, and be and we can explore. And, you know, everyone often talks about men and women having female sides and male sides. Well, this mm. is an opportunity to really explore that, isn't it, really? How have you felt in the last couple of years, actually, you know, do you feel a lot better in yourself as a person, having gone through all this and got to the point where you are now, um, than you did before? You know, has it, has it really been worth it to actually explore yourself in this way? Yeah, it's absolutely been worth it. I've um, I've enjoyed myself so much in those last few years since uh, I decided to explore my sexuality and have experiences and be active in it. Um, I would hate to go back uh, to being in a monogamous relationship and I don't think I would ever do that. Um, just the freedom that I felt to be myself and pursue my passions and um, enjoy my sex life um, is it's been transformative for me. Uh, it's been transformative for my self-esteem and um, just my sense of self and 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 the sense of being alive. <laughs> right. Well, we'll come back to um, the sexuality side of things. A little bit later on, um, because there are a couple more sort of questions I want to ask you. But before we um, do that, let's talk a little bit about your other your, your sex life and your relationship life. Is very creative, <laughs> but, but you're also a very creative uh, person as well, aren't you? In terms of what you do uh, generally in life, in terms of your earning a living and all that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit about that, because one of the things I said at the end of last year, I think it was, was that during twenty. 21 we wanted to try and be a bit of a voice as well for bisexual people who are creative um mm. because you don't hear about them they don't get talked about gay people do generally get talked about and you can find gay culture in different places and all the rest of it whereas i don't think we've defined what bi culture is really to be honest i don't think it's we don't know yet so it's interesting to hear what people are doing in different ways now you have um you do quite a lot of things don't you tell us we're going to actually hear some of your work in a moment, but just tell us a little bit about, just give us a broad overview of the kind of things that you do. Yeah, I guess it's quite bisexual of me to sort of want to do everything. Um, I w I'd say that I'm primarily uh, an actor. 
um, or actor musician quite a lot of the time. Uh, I mainly work in theatre. Uh, a lot of my work is children's theatre. Um, I also like to make little videos and um, I started writing songs uh, in the last few years. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the stuff I do. <laughs> fantastic. Now you sent me some stuff and I've, I've listened to it. It's fantastic. Let's talk about a couple of them. Let's, let's do one of the, let's do the children's one, first of all, uh, that you yeah. sent us. Tell us a little bit about that and we'll, we'll, we'll play it. Just set it up for us. Yeah, so I've, I've been working with this uh, children's theatre company for um, quite a few years now. And uh, what we do is we uh, get together and we devise a show. So devising a theatre show means that you don't have uh, a written play um, and then you go and read the text and, you know, put that on. It starts, you start from an idea. Uh, so, for instance, the show that, this song is from uh, is called Wilderness and it's about uh, wildlife. So we start with this idea of wildlife and then we come into a rehearsal room with lots of, um, we start playing games and throwing ideas together and through this collaborative process, um, we, we make a show. Um, so this particular show was supposed to, we were supposed to start working on it um, before lockdown started and then lockdown happened um, and we couldn't get together in a rehearsal room um, and for quite a few months we couldn't do anything so but but the company managed to get some funds um, to do some zoom meetings um, and we started slowly just throwing ideas together and I was asked to write a uh, an interactive song, a song that the kids could get with um, and participate in. Uh, so um, out of that, well, firstly, I was, <laughs> as soon as I got this task, I got very depressed and it felt very uncreative and was just moping about dragging my feet around for a while. And then eventually I came out That's of... part of the creative process, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but once I managed to start slowly coming out of that and one of the company members really helped me. I I spoke to him and he helped me sort of like just break down the task and not feel so overwhelmed by having to be creative. Um, and uh, eventually this song came out um, that had actions in it to do with the different animals that I'm talking about. Um, and then I sort of finished the song um, and... Then it, I started going back to my day job, uh, which is a nanny. So uh, nannies were allowed to come back. And all of a sudden I was with the kids, but they couldn't go to school. So I was like, what am I going to do with these children all this time? <laughs> and then I thought, oh, they could. I, I already had the idea at that point that I wanted to make a video for Hop Like a Hair. Um, and then I thought that would be a fun activity to do with the children. And they were so into it. They loved kind of the idea of setting up the camera on the tripod and doing a, like handheld and sort of coming with me. So it's called Hop Like a Hair. We're going to listen to Hop it and like hear it in a yeah. moment. Um, it attracts me simply because when I was a kid, I used to watch a children's TV program in the 1970s called Pipkins. And it was all focused on a on a hare called Hartley, who was oh, yeah. uh, quite camp, it has to be said. Uh, and he was always getting into mischief and things. 
and uh, Hartley hair. And that's the only time uh, as a kid that I ever saw a hair. It was a puppet, I know. But because I didn't live in the countryside, I didn't know what a hair was. Uh, I knew what a rabbit was, but I didn't know what a hair was. So that's my lasting image is Hartley hair. So it's quite nice to uh, hear that you're doing something about hop like a hair. Um, because she, I mean, I don't know if they're um, a dying out species, but you don't see them often, do you, really? They're not. They're not everywhere. As the, I mean, I think they used to be, but I don't think you, it's very difficult to find a hair. So I suppose in a way, you you know, it's great, isn't it? It's a bit of education for the kids as well about because I bet there's quite a few of them don't know what a hair is. Yeah, exactly. And and in the show, we sort of make a point of talking about the differences between rabbits and hares as well. Um, well, let's hear let's hear it. Let's hear hop like a hair. Here we go. Little little Davis's hop like a hair. <laughs> I was walking in the woods outside my neighborhood I packed myself some food, my mood is pretty good When down by an oak I saw there was stood A funky looking rabbit wearing a tiny hood Hey dude, why do you stare? Sorry, it's just that it's pretty rare To see a rabbit with a hoodie on Plus your legs and ears are unusually long And also, dude, let me stop you there I ain't a rabbit, yo, I'm a hare And if you wanna be fast and strong like me Just do as I say, okay, after three One, two, three It said hop like a hare, hop, hop Till you drop, hop till you drop, don't let your ears flop. Snurry like a squirrel up to the treetop, up to the top, keep it up, don't stop. Now drop it like it's hot and squat like a frog. Curl up in a ball like a sleepy hedgehog, burrow like a badger underneath the rocks. Now find yourself a partner and trot like a fox, trot like a fox, trot, trot like a fox, trot like a fox, trot, trot like a fox. This exercise is good, it got my juices flowing. I said thank you, hair, and I kept on going. But what I saw next really gave me pause. A couple of foxes with flowers on their paws, holding each other. In an upright stance Moving back and forth Like a ballroom dance Nice socks I said One replied Thanks love They're not strictly socks More like foxgloves Now if you don't mind Move along Alright We're kinda in the middle Of a fight I did as they asked And I moved along And in my head I was still playing that song On and on and on It went hop like a hare Hop hop till you drop Hop till you drop Don't let your ears flop Snorry like a squirrel Up to the treetop Up to the top Keep it up Don't stop Now drop it like it's hot And squat like a frog Curl up in a ball like a sleepy hedgehog Barrow like a badger underneath the rocks Now find yourself a partner and drop like a fox Great fun, hop like a hare And of course you can see um, YouTube videos of it as well online, can't you? Of the, of yeah. the kids and everything Fantastic um, Now, that's the children's side of things But you're also creative mm-hmm. on the adult side of things as well You've got something... Yeah, something really interesting and and quite challenging. Um, yeah, called dishonourable dif- dishonourable discharge. There you go. There you go. Tell us about that. It's a very different vibe to hop like a hare. Um, so this song is something that I wrote um, for a, a, a co- character comedy act that I was developing. Um, I wanted to make um, a play about menstruation. Um, and the idea was that menstruation herself, personified as a person, um, goes around open mic nights and tries to make her voice heard. She used to be this massive goddess, you know, goddess of fertility and life that people um, worshipped and had lots of um, rituals in her honour. Um, and through the years, with the sort of rising of patriarchy, um, she's become this 
something that nobody wants to talk about. Um, but she's determined that now is the time to sort of get back into the headlines and lead the next feminist revolution. So she goes around performing wherever she can get um, uh, a stage and a microphone, performing her sort of protest songs. And this was the first song that I wrote. Um, and it's basically all the different um, euphemi euphemisms and names that people use to refer to menstruation. Uh, some of them are quite shocking. I sort of did a bit of research and found uh, that there is about 5,000 different terms that have been all listed from different countries. Uh, some of them are very graphic. Uh, some of them are just plain weird. Um, well, of course, and, I mean, we, we mentioned it in the previous episode, but um, about the Vagina Museum, um, we're talking, they've got an exhibition around, um, uh, around periods. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Florence was saying that for many, many years, even in this country, you know, there, there's been there's been a stigma over the issue of literally just having a period, you know, uh, young you know, teenage girls having their first period was often something they just could not talk about at all to anybody, mm. even their mothers sometimes, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, we've had a weird relationship with that part of the anatomy for a long time, haven't we, really? Yeah, it's so weird. Um, and it's, it's really nice for me to see in recent, like, very recently I watched... Um, a couple of TV shows made by women where this idea of like just being on your period and sex on your period has been very much normalized and sort of brought to kind of like, look, this is a normal thing. Let's just let's just get over ourselves. Um, and it was so lovely to see that. And, and it, it just it really touched me because as much as I would like it to just be a normal thing that you can talk about, there's so much um so much emotional mess uh <laughs> like wrapped up around it uh even for me who's you know i haven't been particularly shamed about my period ever i was i didn't grow up in a place in a society where you know you have to go and isolate in a hut um <laughs> my mum was very open about it but even 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 for a person who grew up like me there's still a huge amount of shame and um, self-loathing wrapped up in in this idea. Well, let's hear it then, shall we? Shall we hear Dishonourable Discharge? We all know what it's like to be called names. Well, I know better than most. I've been called over 5,000 different names over the years, some worse than others. And this song is about a select few. The mad sliding crotch canyon is closed for maintenance. It's time to change the filter and it's too wet to plow. And the Red Sea is at high tide while well, I'm surfing the crimson wave. Cause the dam has burst on Red River Blues down by Satan's waterfall. It's arts and crafts week in Panty Camp. The monthly party, the Bloody Mary's flowing, and the steaks are medium rare. 
their panty painting and dropping clots, saddling old Rusty and Carrie's playing banjo in Sergeant Zygot's ragtime band. That's 19 down, only 4,981 to go! I hope you're sitting comfortably, this may take a while. Granny's in the red car, she's stuck in traffic While little Red Riding Hood is in the woods With a red witch and a she-wolf howling at the blood moon Riding cotton ponies and trolling for vampires Shields up, Captain! Japan is attacking! We've fallen to the communists and the English have arrived! It's the cunt for Red October and the motherland is crying blood! She's a train wreck! Shark bait! She's got a dishonorable discharge from the uterine navy! 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 The rooster sang to you yesterday! They call me it! They call me girl time! They call me Lee Quick and Soggy Box! That's not my name! That's not my name! That's not! Say my name! Say my name! They call me Aunt Flo and Uncle Chico and Ruby and Irma and Dot! That's not my name and I'll never be, never gonna be nobody's aunt! A massacre at the beef curtain, the wounded clam, le bleu rouge, mad cow disease, and I've got a pile of old useless junk. Okay, dishonorable discharge there. So, um, when it's been performed, what reaction have you had? Um, well, I've performed it in several places. The first time I performed it uh, was, um, there was quite a lot of um, elderly women uh, in the audience. And I don't know if it was to the song itself or to my act as a whole, but it was quite explicit and there was a lot of um, like strong language in it. And um, it was a scratch night, which is like a thing where you, a show where you try out new material and then you get feedback from the audience. And some of the feedback from the audience was like, she didn't have to use this sort of language. Um, which I thought was a win for me, really, because I think that's what this character is about. It's about shocking maybe the established sort of notions of what is okay and not okay to talk about. Um, most other reactions have been quite positive. I think people enjoy the explicit language and the sort of, uh, the kind of visceral um yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been enjoying the descriptive sort of and all that kind of descriptive. Yeah. yeah, quite shocking um, terms that people use. It's quite funny, I think. So going forward, um, your experiences of the last few years in terms of your sexuality and your gender and all the rest of it. Do you think you're gonna maybe we're gonna see more of more of those experiences in your artwork? Do you think? Yeah, I yeah, I would really like that to feature and I've um already been starting to jot some ideas down for um 
yeah, for a narrative that uh, that reflects more of those experiences that I've had. Um, because they've been exciting and fun and I think people would enjoy them <laughs> and would like to share them with people. Uh, and, and people really, you know, we're, they're learning more and more about these different things, but in reality, a lot of people don't know what non-binary is. They don't actually even know what bisexuality is. A lot of people have never even heard of bisexuality in certain parts of the world. And we've found mm -hmm. on Bisexual Brunch that people have listened to Bisexual Brunch and realised that, you know, the pennies dropped and they've thought, oh, actually... I am. I happen to be bisexual because the media doesn't talk about it. You know, you just—it's just not there in the people's minds, is it? You know, that's that's the, the weird thing about it. That's uh, so. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. If um, so, if if people want to know a little bit about your work, how do they how do they get hold of you? Or how do they how can they find out a bit more? Um. Well, they can um, follow me on Twitter at Ms. Lil Davis. Um. That's the main platform that I use at the moment. Um, and yeah, I've got my YouTube videos <laughs> uh, that they can uh, look at. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. No, that, that's really good. Well, all the best of luck with it and keep us posted on what you're doing. And we'll we'll put a shout out every now and again whenever there's anything interesting that you think it's worth, worth us mentioning. Um, back to the issue of bisexuality and your bisexual um, journey um, story. Uh, when it comes to women generally... Um, mm -hmm. until recently, and I say, when I say recently, maybe the last 10, 15 years or whatever, there's been very few uh, moments in the media, whether it be film, TV, um, anywhere really, you know, theatre, whatever, where women have been allowed to sort of explore their sexuality or to be mm -hmm. even be seen as sexual beings, apart from, you know, stereotypical... Um, versions of you know what it's like to be a prostitute or whatever generally women who with the freedom to explore their own sexuality haven't really been promoted through the media have they there's very few there's old one or two i can think of but very few characters like that um how you you know in a way you've now been doing that in real life haven't you you know what i mean um how important do you think it is for women overall and you know in terms of the women you know and different you know different people generally or how you perceive women or how you've got to know women over the years how do you think um that freedom that hopefully mm -hmm. will grow over time how important is that and how do you think it's going to change the way women perceive themselves and are also perceived by others it's a big yeah, question i know <laughs> a big interesting question i like it um I think it's very empowering for women and people in general to just embrace the fact that we're sexual beings. Obviously not everybody, there are people who are asexual and it's empowering for them to be able to define that way. I think for people who are sexual, um, it's just empowering to be able to see yourself as you are to um, love yourself and accept your own needs and give yourself the freedom to act on them without fear of being judged by society. Uh, I think it would help people become more communicative if, um, if we don't judge people for being sexually promiscuous or exploratory or enjoying their sex lives. Um, it means that we can all talk about these things more freely. It means we're safer in our sexual encounters. Um, and 
yeah, particularly for women, because, you know, in society, we are still not of equal status to men. Uh, I think sort of uh, owning uh, our sexuality um, and our desires can be very empowering and uh, lead us to places where we are powerful and in charge of our own um, destinies. With In reflection of that, though, obviously you and others are going through that that journey and, and, and getting to know and understand the whole thing of ethical non-monogamy and various new lifestyles and things like that. But at the same time, I don't know what you feel, but at the same time I feel as though the, the media as a whole, I'm not going to say society because I think there's two different things, but the media mm-hmm. as a whole, and often the media shapes the way society can become, seems to have become quite puritanical again in the recent years. You know, there seems to be a notion that, you know, that there's a lot, obviously there's been a lot of sex scandals and lots of things going on. And, and there's no, obviously some of those are awful things that have happened and, and whatever. But there doesn't seem to be a middle ground in the sense that we seem to be doing a lot of shaming of certain things. And I wonder whether, you know, because apparently there's a notion that actually less that people are having less sex actually overall across the, across the whole of the world. I do wonder mm. whether sometimes we're creating a, a, a new society with lots of, extra morals within it which people haven't really got used to yet do you know what I mean and that worries me that we're gonna some of those things that people could be open about or have been able to be open about say in the last 20-30 years which beforehand they weren't so for example uh, having a baby out of wedlock or whatever it may be or those kind of things you know um, it just feels though we might be going backwards in certain areas do you know what I mean whereas there's you know we still have we our politicians having a, a sex scandal last week or whatever it was and everyone's still shock horror oh my god you know I know there was other issues but you still get this impression that people are still they're still arcing back to sort of some puritanical age do you know where I'm coming from do you, are there, what I'm trying to say is what you're going through and what society you know are they What's going to happen? Do you think? What? Where will it? Where will it end up? Another big question. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think with any sort of uh, change, and I think we're going through a big change now with how visible um, the questions of sexuality and gender um, are becoming. Um, there's still not much, enough representation, but at the same time, there's a, a lot more growing representation. And I think definitely in the media, um, there's a lot more visibility of um, alternative uh, sexualities and genders than maybe people experience in their daily life, especially if you live outside of places like London, um, places that are not as... Uh, open and metropolitan and cosmopolitan um yeah the the kind of the maybe the the gap between what you see in the news and what you know uh is very jarring for some people and can be quite alarming for people because a lot of people just don't like change i think as a species we're a bit while we strive for change and improvement and um, uh, progress all the time, there's a huge uh, element of like, wait, this is not the world that I know what's happening. So it's it's there's bound to be some backlash. Uh, but I think the, the existence of backlash is indicative of the progress that we are experiencing. And um, 
I, f- I feel like generally we 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 we're striving and and we're we're walking towards a more accepting uh, society. I think media as a representation of society is quite a tricky thing because you just you focus on the big noise makers and the things that make um uh that get you viewers and that get people arguing and that gets you all the comments because uh, that's what that's the business um and sadly that also affects how people think so it's very complicated i'm sorry i'm sorry for giving you the big the big questions of the day here you know sort of uh, <laughs> you've got to answer the questions of humanity all in one go on bisexual and um, this one's a little bit easier i hope um final final question what we ask everybody this what's the best thing for you about being bisexual or pansexual what 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 is it about being able to accept that and 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 know that you are and that's where you, where you sit you know what what is it about it that that you really like about being being able to say actually I'm bisexual and pansexual what i like about being bisexual is the freedom that comes with it to not define myself in a very narrow sort of i'm attracted to men and that's it <laughs> there's so many amazing people in this world and it's it, it's nice to be able to approach each relationship from a place where i don't um i don't instantly from the get go say nothing sexual can be in this space between us and i think also the bisexuality has allowed me to uh have to reexamine other preconceptions that i have about myself um, and just let myself grow and ask questions and try new things. Now, at the beginning, you mentioned bisexual brunch and that bisexual brunch had been part of your your mm-hmm. journey. So just explain that to us, because obviously we're, to us, we're just doing a podcast, which we're talking about yeah. being bisexual. And, but, but a lot of people have said this, you know, said that we've connected. What, what do you mean when you say bisexual brunch has helped you or what, what have we what have we done to sort of help you along your journey? So at the point where I sort of searched for and found bisexual brunch, um, I didn't feel very, uh, very much at home in in the sort of definition of LGBTQ plus. Um, I'd been heterosexual, or I define as heterosexual for most of my life. I didn't feel like I was part of a community and this part of my identity was underexplored because I couldn't see much of it echoed outside Um, and to be able to find either people who are bisexual um, you sort of have to put yourself a bit on the line (laughs) Um, and it was just nice to have somewhere where I can in the comfort of my own bedroom with my headphones on just hear experiences of other people who might identify similarly and and what I found when I started listening is that a lot of people shared this experience that I had uh, of not finding themselves in the in the queer within the queer umbrella (laughs) um, within the queer uh, community uh, because we're hetero facing yeah it was just very very empowering to hear other people who have gone through very similar 
um, experiences and um, are calling themselves um, queer. Uh, and it helped me be able to see myself in that light. And just a final additional question, and I've asked a few people this. In light of that, what you just said there, that, you know, you were one of these people who was in a heterosexual-facing kind of situation who didn't necessarily or wasn't able to connect with the LGBT, which defines itself in, in a different way, in a way, and doesn't necessarily always connect with, uh, you know, other bisexual people. What What's your suspicion as to how many people like you and me are out there? Hmm. Uh, a lot. <laughs> my my suspicion is that a lot of people um, maybe given a bit more of an opportunity, or had they had there been more representation in the media, um, would have said actually no, I'm probably not just that <laughs> I probably am attracted to more than just one gender and um, would be able to yeah I, I feel like there's a lot of people who would benefit and might find a lot of joy in asking themselves am I actually only attracted to this gender um, and allowing themselves to try things out Fantastic. Lil, it's been lovely to talk to you and um, uh, really interesting because we, we've obviously had lots of bisexual journey stories. And I always say, oh, that none of them are, you know, none of them are the same. They're all unique. And I think mm -hmm. you prove that. <laughs> Yours is definitely unique. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, and, and it'd be nice to, you know, revisit your journey at some point in the future. So maybe, you know, a couple of years down the line, we can explore how things developed kind of thing. So thank you very yeah, much indeed it. for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Lil Davis, our latest bisexual journey story here on Bisexual Brunch. And if you would like to tell us your story, please get in touch. Email us at info at madeinmanchester.tv or drop us a line on Twitter. Now, a little bit later on, uh, Nikki Lewis and I will be continuing our answers to your questions that you've posed for Ask a Bisexual. Uh, but before that, in a few moments after this break, I'll be talking to Kate Heron, who is the director of Loki, the Marvel character who's just become bisexual. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. I am a journalist and broadcaster and I'm 37 years old. I live in London with my husband. I'm originally from West Yorkshire. About five years ago, I had a single episode of psychosis which led to suicidal ideation. I'm Davan Rees and I've been an actor for over 10 years. And some of you might know me from playing YOLO on a Welsh soap called Publicum. And this is Life Matters. Brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. We'll have our personal story from bisexual journalist Nikki Hodgson. I certainly felt like I can't live like this anymore. I don't think I was supported very well looking back. They didn't really look at the stress. They didn't really look at some things that were going on at home that weren't particularly great and my relationships with my parents at that time. Our aim with these shows is to discuss solutions and raise awareness of very important issues which touches many of us. This is Life Matters with Davan Rees, radio presenter Daryl Morris and Professor Alice Roberts. Listen within your podcast provider by searching for Life Matters and visit ZeroSuicideAlliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. Music 
Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Bisexual Brunch continues. And now to our special interview with Kate Heron, who is the director of Loki, the Marvel character, who's just come out as bisexual. Kate, thanks very much indeed for joining us. For anybody who's not in the know when it comes to Marvel and Marvel characters, just tell us who Loki is, first of all. Loki is from the Norse mythology. Obviously, that's where he originally originated, um, but also obviously in the comic books by Marvel. And then separately, an extra layer to that is obviously Marvel Studios, which they call the MCU. And essentially... Um, those movies sometimes like draw, they draw inspiration from the comics. Sometimes they'll follow them or they'll divert slightly from where the comics have gone with characters. Cause obviously there's been so many different runs with different characters. So Loki is a character that's been in multiple comics <laughs> over many years. Um, and he's been played by Tom Hiddleston in the Marvel studios movies for the last decade. And basically his character had this amazing arc uh, over the last 10 years where he, he basically started off as like a big villain. And then over the last decade, we kind of saw him become more of an anti-hero. Um, and then they killed him off. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh my God, why did you do that? And then in the very last film, Endgame, uh, there was time travel. And they actually went back to an earlier, basically version of Loki who managed to escape. And so my the show that I worked on that is the Loki uh, in our show. So he's in a very different place to the Loki we've seen go across this kind of journey over the last 10 years. Okay. So where did the idea to make him bisexual come from? Was it your idea? Was it somebody else's idea? Where, why did you decide, actually, you know what we want? We, we need to do something and actually express bisexuality within this character. What was all that about? In the mythology and the comics, um, he's been written as bi, but also written as pan and some other runs. And I think for me, you know, the show's about his identity. And so I just wanted, you know, I was, where basically when I interviewed, I was like, well, it's part of his identity. So is that going to be part of the discussion? Because I think it'd be great to acknowledge it. And the team were like, yes, we've been discussing it and we also want to acknowledge it. So yeah, there was definitely like a want from... I came in with that on my list, basically, been really wanting to make sure it was acknowledged. But the whole team were like already kind of like, yeah, we really want to make sure. So that's kind of what began the discussion, I guess, when I started. And then it was just really finding the right way to do it. So explain how you did it. What, what have you done? Because mm-hmm. this is early, early days as well, isn't it? Because this could go elsewhere eventually. But mm-hmm. what have you initially done to try and express his bisexuality? I mean, I always talk about it in our show as like a very small step, but in some senses, it's a very big step, obviously, because, you know, it's a big moment for Marvel and for Disney. But essentially, uh, in our show, he's in the third episode, he's on a train with another character, and they're sort of learning about each other's lives. Um, And yeah, and she just asks him, because essentially, she is a like a version of his character. So I guess it's they're trying to suss each other out and see what they have in common. And she asks him and he's like, yep, a bit of both. And yeah, and that's, it's, I think for us, it was just important that it was just very matter of fact and just normalised. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just from your own perspective, how how important mm-hmm. a moment is this, do you think? that Because bisexuality is under the radar a lot. You know, often you will see in, say, soap operas in different countries, a bisexual character may emerge for a little bit, but very quickly they're either turned gay, straight, or they're killed off or they turn into the most awful 
serial killer or something. You know what I mean? There's this. There seems to be a, a thing with bisexual characters that they that that basically the media generally and and creativity doesn't seem to be able to cope with them for very long, do they? Uh, in this instance, is it a case that this character is going to be you know will will subtly continue to be bisexual and will hear little things here and there every now and again, little nods here and there? Is that is that the plan? I mean, would you like to do more? I mean, I know you're you're leaving, aren't you? But what would you would you like to see this character develop more in that area? Well, I guess two things actually. What you said made me think of something. But I guess for me, like, there's an interesting thing, right? Because I think you see this with lots of characters that are bi, and you know, like, for example, like if I date a woman, it doesn't mean that I'm any less attracted to men or you know anyone non-binary in between the gender spectrum. But I just think that with TV, obviously, I think there can be like a kind of frustration, right? Sometimes from the bi community, I guess. And like, I, you know, I always find that very interesting because sometimes when a character does start dating someone of the same sex, people are like, oh, they're ignoring that they're bi. But then you also get the frustration on the other side of the coin where it's like, if they are dating someone of, you know, a different gender, then people can get riled up in that way as well. And I think for me, really, it's like, I don't know, sexuality is always evolving anyway. And I, I just think that in terms of Loki, yeah, I just think it was important to acknowledge that aspect of his personality. I can't speak to what the plans in the future are because I don't know. I mean, I think for us, it was really just having it said in the show and just I wanted to make it canon, basically. And now it's out there and, you know, future storytellers. I would love, obviously, to see it explored in more depth. But yeah, but that's kind of in someone else's hands. What kind of feedback have you had? Positive, yeah. Like, I think that... I've had really nice messages from, you know, people all over the world. There are some people that have said, you know, like in my country, like this is a massive step because we don't really ever talk about stuff like this ever on television. So I thought that was really nice and they felt seen. Um, I've had messages from people saying it helped them talk about their sexuality to like, you know, their loved ones. I've had messages from people's parents saying that it helped them kind of sort of engage in a conversation with their kids a bit more you know to be like how are you feeling because like you know they were their kids are like coming out so I think for me like yeah it's been very positive and I felt very warmed by the response um yeah it's been pretty positive to be honest so I've been pretty happy fantastic that's really good um just talking then about, about characters bisexual characters generally and, and and you know you and I say from that arena and we we see we know that basically bisexuality is not often explored what do you think it is what do you think that creative people generally, um, you know, are coming up with stories for, for whether it be drama, comedy, um, animation, whatever it may be. Why do you think they, so far, to an extent, have been quite nervous about bisexuality? What What is it, do you think, that stops them pushing these characters forward? Um, I don't know, to be honest, because, like, I, try and f- I find it hard to think of the nervous aspect. I suppose it's like, it's like every... I suppose it's that thing, right? It's just representation. We tend to, I think it has got a lot better in the last decade and I'm really inspired. You know, I worked on a show called Sex Education, which I'm really proud to be part of and I feel is really representative. And I think it's really just about, you know, who's leading the charge of the show? Like, who is the showrunner and like what kind of team did they build up with the writers? And then who are the other people that are involved in the show in terms of creative voices? And I think that's really the place where, you know, and I, and I think also just educating people because I would hope, obviously, if there was a showrunner that isn't bi, they would still maybe consider like, oh, well, I think this character would be really interesting and I think this is a part of who they are. So I think for me, it's just, yeah, probably to do with that, I would say. I, the nervousness I couldn't speak to because um, I just can't think of any top of my head, to be honest. But 
Yeah. I just get the impression sometimes that um, because people don't necessarily, uh, haven't necessarily come across people who are bisexual because we don't go around with a big B on our heads, do we? Do you know what I mean? Often what mm-hmm. our sexuality is hidden to an extent, among, you know, with, with basically, um, you know, around, uh, you know, you're either in a gay-facing relationship or a straight-facing relationship or whatever it may be, and, and you don't notice the B. So maybe it's because a lot of people just haven't been sort of opened up to people's lifestyles and understanding around it and and to be honest it's probably the same for the rest of us who are bisexual isn't it to an extent because i although i present bisexual brunch and i've done a lot of stuff around bisexuality over many years in the media i can only probably count on one hand the amount of people Mm -hmm. i know personally who are bisexual who i could go and talk to or whatever Mm -hmm. we know there's plenty more out there but it's that whole thing of creating a, 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 a sort of an arena where people can actually express it more, isn't it, really? And that's why things like <laughs> what you've done here are really important, aren't they? Um, because a lot of people say to me, oh, why do, they, why do people go on and talk, keep talking about their sexuality? And, you know, because a lot of people think LGBT has been done. It's, so it's, it's, it's over. It's done. Everyone's happy with it in certain parts of the world. But when it comes to bisexuality, we do need people to talk about it, don't we? Because part of the prejudice is that sort of... That invisibility, isn't it, in a way? That sort of erasure uh, that Mm. exists, you know? Yeah, well, I I also think, like, during the pandemic, for example, like, by Visibility Day, like, there were lots of people I know on that day that, I don't know, I think I'd never post on that day before, and I was like, why am I not posting on this day? I should be talking about this because, you know, I'm very minor in the public eye in the the grander scheme of things, but I still have, you know, people follow me and stuff. So I was like, okay, I should talk about this and be, you know, actually talk about it. So I think I did notice though that a lot of people as well were doing that, but I suppose we've had like a year of reflection, right? (laughs) Where everyone's sort of thinking about themselves and yeah, but I I don't know really. I think for me, it's just something I'm always going to, you know, in my work, like I'm a writer and I always think about that and, you know, other characters that would be in the lgbtq plus community as well is very important to me um but i i think yeah i mean i feel positive for the future hopefully um well, you know, I'm, really pleased, I'm really pleased you've done it because it does seem to some extent today that we we seem to be talking about non-binary quite a bit we're talking about um you know people being um you know not wanting to label themselves we talk about mm-hmm. pansexuality but the word bisexual tends to get overlooked a lot for some some bizarre reason. I have no idea why. But, but um, certainly, um, what we're finding, what we're doing, is that there are a lot more people out there than we than people think. You know, and in fact, the numbers are going. When people do censuses and things, I think the recent one in America showed that most of the people on the LGBT spectrum had identi- were identifying as bisexual. So, you know, it's uh, I, I, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, the numbers, you know, of people who are actually identify as, as, as bisexual. It's probably going to increase in, you know, as we go, as we go on, because there's all those people who've been bisexual all their lives who are in relationships where they've not been able to be open. And if they can see it out there and be express themselves and hopefully, you know, it'll be a whole new world. What um, about be, just in terms of your own personal side of things about about being bisexual? Was it easy for you to acknowledge it? Did it take a while for you to acknowledge being bisexual? Or have you always known that you were bisexual? It's a pro- I was going to say a bit of both. I don't mean to quote the show. But like, um, well, it's like, I, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but my own thing, like, yeah, of course it took me a while because like, you know, like where I grew up, like no one really spoke about that. And I didn't really, like you said, it's so funny because like one of my best friends now, like they are non-binary and like, but you know, 
me and then that we grew up together and we never spoke about this stuff and now I'm just like oh I wish we'd but we just weren't there yet when we were teenagers you know what I mean but so I think that's the thing I think for me it was like obviously like feeling attracted to people was a big part because I was like oh something's going on here and also just yeah I suppose everyone has their own journey and it takes time and also you know like sometimes you're dealing with like internalized homophobia of your own as well like because of how you grew up and I think for me like I mean over the last maybe 15 or decade I guess like was when I started to be like oh okay I think I kind of have a handle on who not necessarily who I am completely but I have an idea that I'm definitely not straight um yeah I think it definitely took me a while but I think it always like I said and I also think it's not necessarily always set I think for me I always kind of think about it as an evolving thing and I'm kind of I don't know I think what's important to me really is like I think it's important I talk about it because I know that more, the more people I see talk about it, the less alone I always felt, which I think is great. Um, and that's it in the end, right? Isn't it just we all want to be happy and le- less alone? <laughs> and what, what would you say then is the, is the, what's the beauty? What's the, what, what's the special thing? What's, the, what's, what's nice about being able to acknowledge you're bisexual? What's the, what's the best thing about being bisexual, do you think? Truthfully, I think it's just whatever your you know, orientation, it's just about living your truth, right? And there's something very freeing and liberating about living freely because a lot of people can't do that for a whole variety of reasons. But, you know, I'm lucky I live in London and I can. And I just and I think for me, it was, you know, a confidence thing as well. And and just, yeah, self-reflection, like just being like, oh, this is who I am. So I think for me, it's more just about it's almost like a weight off my shoulders. Right. Well, <laughs> it's just like, well I think oh, this is who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think what you've done is, that, you know, it's, it will, when you look back, it'll be seen as quite an important moment, actually, uh, in terms of the um, expressing bisexuality and acknowledging it in, in characters and things, which is great. Fantastic. So what's next for you then? You're moving on. What, what are you doing next? What's the, what's the plan? Yeah. So I am writing quite a few things that are yet to be announced. Um, but the one thing I could talk about briefly i can't say what it is but i i I wrote a comic book for skybound uh with my writing partner briny redman so that will be coming out later this year um yeah and it's like a horror comedy comic um and i'm very excited and it was really fun writing in a comic book format because obviously as a director i do storyboards all the time but it was my and it was really fun working my writing partner because she hasn't directed um but it was so fun seeing like because she came up with like so many cool shots and it was just really fun it was almost like writing an interactive storyboard but it was a very different way of writing so yeah so I really enjoyed kind of getting my teeth stuck into a different way of focusing on a story I guess and any any bisexual characters in that (laughs) this particular story not explicitly but just because of the nature of what it's talking about right. which will make sense when people actually see the comic but, okay good stuff yeah. well good luck with that and congratulations <laughs> on what you've managed to achieve with loki that's fantastic thank you very much indeed for talking to us kate it's really nice thank you thank you Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye. thank you very much to the listeners cheers thank, thank you. you thank you you're listening to bisexual brunch in a few minutes nikki lewis and i will continue our bisexual conversation for this episode but before that i'd like to give a nod to some lgbt interviews reunions and drama which you can find on our sister podcast distinct nostalgia there's loads of stuff on there there's an interview with neil jordan who was the screenwriter and director of the 1992 multi-oscar nominated brit flick the crying game with gender, sexuality and politics at its heart, it was very much about identity. So I wrote the script, it was about race, it was about sexuality, it was about political violence, it was about 
captivity. It was about the Stockholm syndrome. It was about guilt. I showed it to Steve Woolley, my producing partner, and we set about trying to finance it. And it was nobody wanted to finance it. It was very difficult to finance, you know. And it was really interesting, actually, why it was so difficult. Because um, at the time, the fact that the soldier was black, yeah, was as big a barrier to people's acceptance of the, the possibilities of the movie as was the fact that there was, you know, a transsexual element in it, you know, and uh, it was really weird. And it's really weird in these days of um, Black Lives Matter and all that sort of stuff to realize what extraordinary resistance there was to even kind of broaching the idea of race, you know, in, in, in a movie, in a British or Irish movie. Not, not to talk about an American one. It, it, it was always terribly difficult to, to broach those ideas in an American film, you know. So that's Neil Jordan speaking there to me for distinct nostalgia. And you can also hear a History Boys reunion in which the actor Samuel Barnett, who's gay himself, talks about how the character of Posner in the Alan Bennett film and previous Broadway hit had a huge effect on him and his career. It does get in by osmosis and it starts to become part of you whether you realise it or not. And I played that character for two and a half years, um, you know, including the film and, and the world tour and all that. And when it ended, I was 27 years old and I started playing that when I was 24 years old. Um, and when I stopped playing it at the age of 27, it's like I grew up because I'd been playing this 17-year-old, angsty, screwed-up, pain-ridden, confused child. And I didn't realise until after I'd stopped playing it what an effect that had had on me emotionally and psychologically. And um, I mean, I even changed physically in the year after I stopped playing that. I, I sort of grew up, my body changed. People commented on how different I looked. And I just think the mind is an extremely powerful thing, isn't it? And I, I, I definitely related so much to what Posner was going through at school, you know, being in love with someone at school, someone who wasn't in love with him, all of that unrequited stuff and then there was plenty of stuff about Posner that wasn't me but I did just get him on such a gut level and a feeling level and an instinctive level straight away. As well as those History Boys and Crying Game interviews you can also hear chats about LGBT films like My Beautiful Laundrette, The Talented Mr Ripley and Morris. That was the LGBT movie which launched the career of Hugh Grant. So there you go. Look up Distinct Nostalgia wherever you get your podcasts or go to distinctnostalgia.com. Distinct Nostalgia is home to some of the great women of British sitcom. We've got interviews with Felicity Kendall from The Good Life and Wendy Craig from Butterflies. There's Linda Robson and Leslie Joseph from Birds of a Feather. Plus Matilda Thorpe, who starred in The Desmonds, and Sherry Hewson and Amanda Barry, recalling their carry-on days. And now three more queens of sitcom are joining us over the summer. Sally Tomzit relives her Man About the House days. She was very good at burning toast, if I remember. Yeah, that's true life. <laughs> I can't cook to save my life. While Anna Karen tells us how she created Olive in On the Buses. They said we want her to be very plain. So we went out for a day and sort of looked around all the bus stations and things. And I saw this woman who looked just like Olive, the hair parted and the glasses and terrible. And I went back and said, that's how I'd like her to be. In fact, the very first episode, 
I had a fringe for half of it, and then no fringe for the second half because they wouldn't go back and shoot again. So, you know, it's, it's just stuck. So you were part of the creation of Olive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Plus, Judy Cornwall, who was Hyacinth's sister Daisy and keeping up appearances, also pops in for a chat. It was very funny. On the on the very first day in the studio, our first scene, Onslow and Daisy, was in bed. <laughs> so we climbed into the bed, lay down and pretended we were asleep, and then the whole bed collapsed and our legs went in the air. And the audience were just uncontrollable. They were falling about. The women of Great British Sitcom. Available this summer on Distinct Nostalgia. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Listen out for new episodes and scroll through our archives for past programmes wherever you get your podcasts. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. So Bisexual Brunch uh, continues uh, with Nikki Hodgson, Louis Oakley and with me, Ashley Byrne. And uh, we're devoting uh, this show really, uh, apart from our uh, our Loki story and our uh, bisexual journey story, both fascinating stories at this time. We're devoting uh, the rest of the show uh, to your uh, questions. And um, we had a, a little note from Mike, who uh, was the subject of one of our bisexual journey stories um, a little while ago. Uh, he sent us this note uh, saying, Hello, I hope you've all been well. Uh, I've still been listening to and talking about your podcast with friends and strangers. I'm apparently even in a friend, former Tinder date's phone as Michael Podcast after he listened to the episode I was on. There have been so many updates to my bisexual journey that I'll have to share with you later on. But for now, I have a question. When you start dating people of your same sex after only dating people of the opposite sex... What are ways to adapt how you approach a date? For example, I think I've still been trying to date straight in a way, as in I'm trying to conform to traditional gender roles. Uh, because I'm the man, I pay for dinner or I initiate the dates, even though I've been pursuing other men. And I think it has weirded some guys out when I've been meeting them. I've learned that in many ways, guys are more direct in what they want, but there are still little courtship games that get played. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's from Mike. Thanks, Mike, for getting in touch with us. And uh, you can listen to Mike's story. Uh, Mike's from Atlanta uh, in ooh, probably about four or five episodes back. I can't remember exactly when, but um, I know a lot of you binge uh, listen to these anyway, so you'll probably get to it at some point. Um, what do we think then? I mean, we've discussed this before about the differences in dating uh, men and women. Um, we need to say here that, of course, there are different genders as well as men and women. We, we've talk, talked about the differences in, 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 in dating different genders and the perceived things that you're supposed to do or not do and all the rest of it, and the games that get played. I know Lewis has talked about the differences, you know, things that you, you're more likely to do with a man and a woman. Um, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's like um, Mike will have spent all his time, most of his life, dating women. Um, and there is that, sadly, um, that sort of attitude isn't it that men do certain things men take the lead you know it's all patriarchal and sexist and all the rest of it but that, that is there inbuilt isn't it and it's and, and women expect that as well to an extent so you might upset a woman if you don't act a particular way or whatever um yeah what do we think lewis what what's what's the what what advice would you give mike in terms of dating blokes compared to dating oh. women 
it's really interesting, right? Because I haven't been single for five years. And so when, when I was last single, I did definitely realize like, look, oh my God, from dating a guy to dating a girl is so different. I always remember my housemates laughing at me because I was going on this date with a girl and I just assumed we were going to split the bill. And they were like, ha ha, like, that's so ridiculous. You can't, like, say that. Like, she's a girl. And I'm like, but I've been on, like, three dates with guys this week. And we've always split the bill because it's, like, the first one. Or the older or richer one. Like, so you kind of have this kind of, like, genderless way of looking at the world. And then all of a sudden it becomes really gendered when I was, like, going on dates with girls. So kind of the opposite. I don't know if it's really changed a lot since. Because I think we've had such big discussions around... um, gender, sexuality, all that kind of stuff over the last five years. So I don't know whether that kind of stuff has kind of died out now or not. But I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's the curse of the bisexuals to have to always live somewhere between the gay and the straight worlds and have to deal with their little strange little customs and ways of doing things. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. May, maybe just my general musings on the topic. I think everyone's different. Um... I think what he's saying there about men being more direct, I think is very true. And, and a lot of relationships, when I invert commas, I say relationships, um, tend to be quite sexual at the beginning with two men, I think. Um, I think that the, the thing is navigating where it goes from there, trying to read the body language in terms of whether or not you've had a one night stand with somebody, which often happens or the big, very near the beginning with, um, with a, you know, with, with, when you're dating men, you have, you have a, you know, when I say one night stand, you, you, you know, I, I was this perennial person who was having loads of one night stands thinking that every single one night stand was going to turn into some blossoming relationship and was all, you know, ultimately disappointed every single time. So, you know, so, that, so there's That's that thing going on, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, well, it's interesting with regards to sex, which I didn't really talk about because, I guess it's one of those things where everyone is their own individual person. But if we're generalizing, I I do think one of the interesting things was whenever you have a one night stand with, with a, as a man with a girl, it kind of feels like, oh, you're taking advantage of her or you're a player and all that kind of stuff. Whereas when it's two guys, it's like, well, no one's being taken advantage of here. Like we're both up for this sex. Like, no, you're not anymore going to get stigma about having a one night stand than I am because we're both men whereas when it was with a girl it was like kind of like uh, you know I remember people being to me like you can't just have sex with her like for for one night and then and then like leave her that's so bad and she's got feelings and blah blah but when it was well I've just had sex with that guy and I'm never going to call him again it was like oh you know that that's funny and that's hilarious so it, it is weird how people see the whole one night stand thing through the lens of of the gender of the person you're sleeping with I've got to say as well, I'm thinking about a time I had a one night stand with a girl and I couldn't get her out of the house quick enough. I acted like the worst bloke in the world and was like, it was a Sunday and I actually pretended that I had to go to work because I wanted her to leave. (laughs) And I felt so guilty. But the point is, actually, if it was a guy, I wouldn't have bad an eyelid. I would have done exactly the same thing and just not cared. So it works in reverse as well when you're a woman. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, it's difficult. It's difficult because every bloke is different. And men, uh, you know, there is a perception that most men are just are up for the sex. And, and yeah, I would say 99% probably are. They're up for just having some fun. And it, it, and often with, the, with, with dating men, 
if you're you know to, uh, male and male um, relationships um, often the the questions about the future the questions about you know your personality what you like what you don't like often come after the sex so you establish whether you like whether you like each other physically or not a bit like a bit like naked attraction when you see the bodies first and then you, <laughs> then they don't carry on afterwards um you know i think it's a bit like that really the physicality often comes first doesn't always you know there are men out there who don't want that and want to and 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 sadly in my experience in that, in that instance the thing tends to fizzle out very quickly because the the other person 99% of the time just wants the sex he <laughs> doesn't want to go any further at all so you've got to it's very difficult i'd say you're saying to mike you know it's very difficult to navigate these things you really i think the the key really is to, is to be direct and open and upfront i think most blokes are most blokes aren't going to balk at you being open and upfront i think the difficulty is i suppose it's the same with any kind of dating situation is you've got to, it's a balancing act between that whole thing of wanting to pursue the relationship wanting it to carry on wanting to meet that person again and not feeling you know being perceived as too cloy you know what what that you're really desperate for this kind of thing and i think for me probably when i'd had these what weren't one night stands to me they were the start of a blossoming relationship i think i maybe was sounded maybe a bit too desperate in the days and we but having said all that when it comes to the relationship i mean now none of that mattered the fact that i was 100% for that person and and it didn't matter at all because that person really wanted that and so when you meet the right person you can just be yourself, for heaven's sake. Do you know what I mean? Well, All these games meet, are quite annoying, aren't yeah. they, really, to be honest? Well, when you meet the person that you're honest with. So one of the things that, you know, you know, I work for this app field and everything that they do on this app is about being honest from the outset about what you're looking for. And the problem I find on most conventional dating apps is people don't know themselves what they're looking for. So they go on there and they say, I'm looking for a relationship, blah, 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 blah. But actually they're just looking for some casual fun and they don't know how to present that because it'll make them look like an idiot or somebody who's not very honourable. That's what they think. Men tend to think that. So they pretend to want some kind of courtship and then they'll just say, oh, you weren't right for me when really they just wanted the sex. But actually, in my experience and as a woman, if someone just says to me, I think you're great but I'd just like to have sex I'll be like cool great let's get on with it like I'd, I've never found that offensive if somebody had ever said that to me but nobody's ever done it so I just think we're at this we're at this precipice point in dating culture where we're about to get way more honest at the beginning and it will be so much better for setting people's expectations and people will get what they want as a result what about what Mike was saying about f- sort of taking his sort of heteronormative ways to the gay dating thing in the sense of he's he's coming over as the, the the hard man or the you know the man who takes the lead or whatever. I mean, some circumstances, I probably enjoy that personally. Actually, <laughs> you know what I mean. So that's the thing. It's sort of you don't. It's weighing that person up, isn't it? But that's what it's about, Ash, isn't it? And that's what I love about being bisexual, because when you go on a date with somebody, you really have to go meet them as the person you are, with the interests you have, with the sexual interests and likes that you have, and you have to see if they're compatible with that. And that's all it's about. And if you've got into this very old-fashioned habit of, of going through this you know, chivalrous dance, because that's just what people do of certain genders, then actually you're not really paying attention to the person on the date. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, in a way, we're reinventing the wheel at the minute, aren't we? That's what's happening. We're going through a really important phase in changing how we date. It's going to evolve within the next five to ten years, I'm yeah, confident. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, but, it, but for those people going through it, uh, like Mike and others, it, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you just don't know. It's a very uncertain time in that sense. And people, you know, you, you, you could easily put your foot in it. But I'd say with that, 
yes, you can easily put your foot in it, but my view on those kind of things, if that person is really awkward, if the other person's really awkward, uh, they're really putting lots of demands on the thing, you know. I used to have somebody, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm dreadful with timekeeping, absolutely appalling with timekeeping, always have been in my entire life. Um, and I, there's somebody I, I was dating for a while, and I was literally probably a minute late on a couple of occasions. And that was a big, big problem. And, you know, it just I had to kill it off within a few because I thought to myself, this person cannot cope with me just being late a couple of, you know what I mean? It's those kind of things where people start to put demands on the relationship you've got. And actually, it's not worth pursuing. But, but also, Ash, you could say from their perspective, everybody's got to distinguish between what is a red flag and a red herring. This is what we say in the dating coaching world, right? So it's like, is it something we can live with, like the shit shoes that we can persuade them to change somewhere down the relationship or we can shove them in the skip? Or is it something that is going to put us off so much, so heinously, that we can't imagine ourselves having sex with them, marrying them or getting old with them because of the shoes? And if, if, if for this fella, it was like, if someone is late, that is the end, then for him, it was probably the right thing to not be with you, actually, yeah. ironically. Yeah, and actually, it was probably the right thing for me not to be with him either. So. Right, for both of you, exactly. So, you know, I think it's actually, I think it's all... All, all's fair in love and war, as they say, in these situations. How much should you reveal at the beginning, do you think, about yourself? About, I don't mean necessarily, obviously, bisexual. Being bisexual is a big thing. And whether we should reveal that or not, it depends on the circumstances. And I'd hope that more people would reveal it because I think that's quite really important. But just generally, how much should you give of yourself on a first date? Because sometimes you want to, don't you? You want to let that person know about who you are. You want, you want to be really enthusiastic and all the rest of it. And then you can go away from the date and actually realise at the end of it, you know, I've made a hash of that because I've, I've just talked to them. Yeah, I think the best thing is always leave somebody wanting more and let them find, let them discover you is the advice that I always gave to people when I was in California date coaching. Because I'm a very open person and my instinct in my 20s was always to put everything on the line and just be, you know, I'll just say everything about my life and who I am and what I like and what I don't and my experiences. And it was just really overloading for people. That's what I learned in time. And then when I was coaching people, I could kind of give them the opposite advice. And then when I met my husband, I did the opposite. I revealed very little about myself time after time after time. And I made him promise not to Google me because that is it's always a bad thing to do. So that if you if anybody's got always make sure that you have a kind of nuclear weapons game off with someone where you both say that you won't Google each other before a date because that just kills the discovery. And what about you, Lewis? Are you when you date, are you an open book? Or do you, do you leave leave the person wanting to know a bit more? I mean, what happened with you and your uh, well, current partner? How did that come about? Well, yeah, so so, so far away to kind of remember. What well, here's here's the thing. I think do what's comfortable for you. I would say the first few dates for me are all about chemistry. So it's actually like I don't need to tell you my life story and who died and and why this is the way I am and all that kind of stuff. Like. Let's just see if we get on, if we can hold conversations, if we want to have nice sex. Like, let's have a few dates about chemistry. And then if it becomes like, oh, this isn't just a few dates, this actually could be a long-term thing, then you can have those kind of conversations about what you expect of a long-term thing. Yeah, I think, I think you have to do that. Luckily, there wasn't too much on Google about me at the time when I met my other half. Like, if I was ever single again now, it'd be like, oh... Oh bloody hell! Like, game over. Game over. I didn't. I didn't foresee this. <laughs> this was not the plan. We'd have to do that thing, you know, when you write to Google and you have to tell them why you want certain information about yourself taken down. We could do that for you, Lewis, if you ever got in that situation. Well, you know what? I me actually me think what I would testify. do. I, I, I think I, I don't know if this is really deceitful, but you know, there is a lot of stuff out online. I would probably just like 
change my name like as in like just on the dating app like i could just be steve, yeah, 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 yeah. steve oakley and then i could like yeah hi amazing <laughs> yeah, like, i feel like names. we have to acknowledge it yeah um i could just um yeah i could be steve oakley and then on date five if it's going amazing i could like take off my glasses like superman and be like my name is actually lewis and you can google me and <laughs> And I'm a bisexual superhero. Yeah, there we go. By people around the world. That's the dream. Are you lucky? And here's my child. (laughs) No, I would obviously be honest. Here's my gorgeous baby. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. We hope we've answered your question, Mike, uh, in a roundabout way. The point is, nobody's the same. There's no formula, is there, Nikki, really, at the end of the day? There's no formula. The, that uh, that horrible adage of be yourself kind of works because if you are a naturally open person, then play to being naturally open. Still hold a little bit back, but be don't just pretend to be the opposite just because you're scared the other person's going to run off because that's not going to work either. I think I, this is just the thing. You need to accurately represent what you're after. One of the things that I discovered when I was writing my History of Dating book was that the more clear you were about what you were looking for, the more likely you were to get it. And that applies throughout history. Like that's been applicable for 300 years. So during the First World War, people would go off to war and they would be honest about the fact that they were seeing other people. And we always imagined the First World War to be this halcyon time where everybody was super romantic, waiting for the person to come back from the front line. And that wasn't what it was like at all. So I'm not saying necessarily, you know, string loads of people along and be really open about it. That's completely up to you if you want to be non-monogamous. But what I am saying is, you don't have to say, oh, these are exactly the sex positions I'm into. But you could hint at the fact if you're into BDSM or something, then it's you could probably say that quite early on and be a good thing because it's actually a filtering process as well. And then it stops both of you wasting your time if that's not something that you're both into. Of course, on dating apps, people just say all that stuff, kind of thing straight Yeah, away. the filters are there for you in some ways. But it, certain things are still people still don't talk about openly on dating apps. So, yeah. I would also say the aim of the game of dating is not to get everyone to love you. The aim of dating surely is to find someone where mutually you both enjoy each other and don't want to change too much about each other and can generally get on. So this idea of like, oh, you know, I got dumped or, oh, it didn't work out. Like, that's actually a good thing because, well, if it had worked out but it wasn't right, then that's just an unhappy relationship, isn't it? So, like, you know, don't worry too much. Like, you know... And kind of to to the question of like, you know, if you're taking your kind of like um, perspective of dating women into dating men, that's going to rub some people up the wrong way, but that's fine. And it's going to, for some people, it's going to be the hottest thing ever and they're going to want to get down on the floor and get to business. So, you know, (laughs) whatever you want to do, it's, but this is the thing, don't, don't always be disheartened that you're not someone's cup of tea. Agreed, Um, agreed, agreed. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. Well, guys, it's been an amazing show. I'm off to go. Oh, as Maisie's, Maisie's going to end the show. What she's saying, I'm going to translate <laughs> baby, is Daddy's going to change my nappy now. He's going to get me dressed. We're going to go explore and have a nice day together because um, my other half and my 12-year-old are out watching football all day. So it's a daddy and daughter day. This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.